Hello and welcome to the Watsy Party Horror Show, where we're fighting the good fight for the Horror Nation. <gasps> oh, I forgot my line. Oh, <laughs> okay. I slobbed on Bob's cob. Okay. <laughs> A little vocal warmth. Okay. Dave Z, this is throwing me off my game. We need to... <laughs> I need to get out of this. Party people! Right? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to the Watsy Party Horror Show, where we're fighting the good fight for the horror nation. You gotta fight for your what? Z-Party! Oh, oh baby! <laughs> Folks, we are a three-act podcast released at the beginning of every month, and I loved that. Folks, in each episode, you can expect to hear a comprehensive list of upcoming genre releases, followed by a horror topic of discussion, and finally, an in-depth breakdown of a horror film of our choosing. Everyone, this is episode number three, Third Time's the Charm. I'm your host, Mr. Watson, podcasting from just outside of Olympia, Washington, and my co-host here at The Banquet on this fine summer night is... Dave Z, in the basement in Buffalo, New York, with the air conditioning on, because the weather is still nice. Yeah. Ooh, baby. I think I said Banquet. It's Banquet. Banquet. Anyways, oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, hey, what it's it's what it is. I, I, I think I said... It's the allergies, folks. Uh, I, I think I said summer night, but it's actually morning as I record here and now. But, you know, banquets, parties, as it were, typically don't occur in these hours early in the day. Uh, in any case, my friends Dave Z and I just finished all the party planning ins and outs. We got a big show in store for you. The party people. Dave Z, do you like... Do, do you feel like that right there could be the name of our audience, the party people? Wow. I feel like, I feel like you could brand some pretty neat Watsy party people shirts with a name like that. What are you thinking? I don't know. I, I'm wow. feeling that. Party people. Yeah. Right. There, yeah. there was that show, Dance 360. It was, it was that like dance competition show. And they'd be like, party people is the judge. And I was always like, party people is the judge. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Indeed they are. Well, okay, folks, here in the introductory, introductory portion of the show, the point in the party where we walk in, hang up our coats, pour that first drink and mingle about so as to get the banter going, we'll tell you all here and now what the episode itinerary is for show number three here. First, we've got an email to read to you from one of you party people. We're excited about that. Then in the party favor segment of the show, act number one, Dave Z will lead us through a list of the July 2019 horror releases. Next, in the horror deep dive segment of the show, act number two, our topic of discussion is all about style over substance. What does that mean in the scheme of horror film art? What does this prioritizing of method over story say about a film? What does it say about us? And finally, in the showtime segment of the party, act number three, Dave Z and I will give you a spoiler-free review of The Neon Demon 2016. We'll say our goodbyes in the episode outro. The party will close its doors, but if you happen to be caught in our clutches at this point, if you've seen The Neon Demon and want to hear a spoiler-filled discussion of the film, then please stay for the after party where we let it all hang out. Well, all right then, folks. Dave Z, what do you say we get into this email? Oh, please do. Yeah, party people. Yeah, I'm down with it. Heck yeah. Now, here, here's what's really cool. Dave Z has not heard this email. I, I, I forgot to tell him about it. That, that That's part of it, folks. But also... Well, that, that's it. I just forgot to tell him about it. So <laughs> we got uh, we got our friend and listener, Roberto Almanza, hit us up about three days ago as of this recording. And he writes, 
Hello, party people. There it is. <laughs> he oh. said party people too. So there you go. Maybe that's where where you got it from. Like you didn't know. It's like, you know, it's in your subconscious. Maybe you read it and you didn't it didn't hit you at the time, but then it was like sitting there. Maybe well, I, I might have said it or we might have said it in episode two, like maybe once or twice. And I, that, that's maybe and I was thinking about Dan's 360 again because party people is the judge and you can win an Xbox <laughs> 360 and 360 bucks if you win the Dan's 360. Anyways, wow. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Hello, party people. First of all, I want to say I'm enjoying the show so far. This has become a great source for being up to date with horror releases. So thank you for covering that aspect. The editing and sound is amazing. Top notch. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Roberto. All you're missing is some cool phrases or sayings like exploding heads, clickety clackety, etc. Oh, we're getting there. <laughs> Just an idea. I wish you guys would consider doing some sound bites, sort of like what Dave used to do in Banana Laser, where they would write funny scripts and act the parts out. I really feel like the both of you could pull that off great and plug them in between segments of the show. Nice. I love the segment on whore marketing, episode two. A somewhat sad but juicy discussion. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Dave? Interesting you touched on the first episode, how you can tell by the cover art of a movie if the movie will be good or bad, but you were unable to quite put into words how exactly this works. I can tell you have a very good eye because I can also notice this easily being an artist working in the Halloween decor industry. I can tell hints of Photoshop together images, posters, as opposed to a high quality photo shoot put together. There are usually hard edges around the elements that were photoshopped together. The lighting and shadows don't look natural because they were added in Photoshop. It's kind of the same as when you do practical versus CGI, that tangibility factor that is missed. No matter how hard you try to add lighting on a computer program, it's very difficult to make it look natural or get the same result as you would with something that you staged with costume and lighting planned out. The fonts also give it away because, again, some lower-budget films may use typical generic fonts as opposed to a higher-budget movie where they would most likely have a graphic designer who specializes in fonts to create their own font specific for their poster. Anyways, keep up the great work, Roberto. Hey, wow. so what do you think of that? I mean, so thanks, Roberto, for taking the time to write us. We sincerely appreciate that. As for Watsy Party Horse Show catchphrases... Uh, just to kind of go down the line here, we're working on it. You know, I think here in episode three, it's building the language of the party. It's evolving naturally. I think. What do you, what do you say, Dave Z? It always evolves naturally. That that's what it is. You can't you can't try to plan it just the way it is. It just, as you go on, things just happen spontaneously, and it just becomes part of the fabric of the show. So I, I have no doubt that between the two of us, we'll come up with tons of catchphrases. Agreed. Agreed. Got to be patient, man. You got to be patient, homie. It, it, it's coming, you know? We can't do all that right away. I mean, we're good, but we're not that damn good. Shit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, what do you think of his idea for us to do skits? You you did a ton of a, a ton of those on Banana Laser. And mm -hmm. Roberto, if you're interested, I've done some skits here and there on my show, Horror Corridor. Listen to episodes. It would be 11, 12, and 17 for some of those. I'm proud of him. I think Santa Claus's cussing spree on episode 17 might have caused Horror Corridor to fall from grace in certain people's eyes, but it is what it is. Dave Z, you think we'll ever do skits at the party here? You think that's necessary? You think we'll it'll ever it'll ever need to happen? What 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 are you thinking, buddy? You know, this is the thing with the skits. They require a lot. There's a lot of effort that goes into it. Like a like a a five minute skit re requires me to sit down and think about a script and write it and then and then submit it to Watson and then he's gonna make edits and this and the time that it goes in to make the skit almost goes into the time for the prep of the rest of a of a two three hour show 
That is the that's one of the problems. The other problem is the the poor guy that does the production. Not me, but I've seen. <laughs> I, I, we were just you know we were just party planning, and I was just telling Watson what 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 he knows, but nobody else. By the time this drops, you're gonna know. But exploding heads is gonna go monthly for the time being, and. One of the reasons is production is part of that, Christian's end. A lot goes into things, and when you have a lot going on in your life, it's just a lot of work. And me, I don't like to put somebody I work with, like like whoever's producing and editing, through any more unnecessary things than I have to because I see what happens with burnout. Look at the track record. Look at Skeleton Crew. Look at Banana Laser. Exploding Heads, I think, is also prime for skits. But, but with the banter that me and Christian and, and Brandon have just normally, I think we could do great skits and we're all kind of creative cats as oh, is sure. right, as is Mr. Watson here. So I think both of those shows could do it and, and probably, you know, be great at it. But it's just so much goes into it. I think maybe occasionally, kind of like Watson, uh, the way you did, the way you occasionally do them. I, yeah. th- I think is an idea when, when we have the time, you know, no promises, but I mean, a lot of that falls on you. You know what I mean? And I'm not the kind oh, of guy sure. that wants to get down with a, with someone that's, that's doing the, the producing and, and add more to their workload because it's burnout. I mean, even now, I, I, and I don't want to say guilt, but I feel a little bit responsible for these horror corridor episodes, which have been lacking since the Watt Z horror you know, since we started, <laughs> and I don't want to do that because number one, I love, I, I love horror corridor, and number two, I, I love Watson. So I don't want to do anything that's gonna, you know, mess that up. So it, it's weird. It, it, so much time. So I know I'm. I'll, it's a long answer. It's almost like I'm making excuses, but I can only tell you what's in the heart. It, it, it's tough to do. It, it's fun to create. It's great to do it, and when you have a finished product and listen back to it, it's awesome. But there's a lot that goes into it, man. That's all. That's all I can say. Yeah, certainly. And you know, and hey, and if it happens, it happens. If something, if if there's something we just gotta lay down, we'll, we'll lay it down. But yeah, it you know, it does take a lot of work with production. When I did that that scream parody with my son on episode 11 of Horror Corridor, oh my gosh, I've never produced more than that in my life. It took it took a lot to do that. It was fun to do it, but it. it it was, you know, it did take a lot of work. And so, you know, I guess if we're, and we, we try to be timely with these releases, I want to get these out at least, you know, within the mid month. So you can, so everybody can look at the genre releases. And so it'd just be a matter of time, really. That, that's, that's what it's about. So yeah, everything Dave Z said is, is, is all good. What do you think of Roberto's, uh, Roberto's analysis of your cover art game? I think he's definitely onto something there with the Photoshop versus like staged uh, photo shoots and such. He's a hundred percent on it, and it, it and is someone that you know has more information to give us, and that's in that industry where 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 he sees that, and ha- he has the eye for it. It makes total sense. What 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 plagues me? What 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 I don't get is why other people don't see what I'm seeing when I look at these things. That's what I don't get. It's like, how come I'm I'm nobody special? I I've been sure I've been running movies and and watching them for years, but. Why is it that I can notice that stuff and make a statement and, and this guy here that's been watching horror for 30 plus years, same as me, says, oh, that cover, like it happens with Jason Lloyd all the time. Jason <laughs> Lloyd, dude, it totally does. He sees like a cover and just because the art looks like quality art, he takes that and thinks that 
It's hard to explain because I've said it many times. I go, the art itself isn't bad, but this art is a box cover for a horror movie. Something about it just when I see this style of art, it just it shows me that the movie isn't going to be good. And I, I don't know how to explain it. It's just something that I look and I see. And I, I think maybe it, it, it's what he said. What Roberto said is he touched upon it. Maybe it's the kind of colors that are used or something. And it's I'm not realizing it when I look at the picture, but it's maybe it's that. I don't know. I just it just bothers me. Yeah, when he said that it was kind of like CGI versus versus practicals, that that sort of spoke to me in in it. But I'm still trying to translate that over to the art. It's the way you can notice the CGI blood and be like, ah. You know, even if it looks all right, it's like, ah, oh, dang, like, they, really, they did that? But then you get that real blood. It's like, OK, there we go. There is something subtle there. They're both red. They both drip. They both. But you can just the other one has the, the right viscosity, the the, the 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 authenticity, whereas, you know, the, the CGI blood doesn't. And, and there is something to that with the art. Like we've been saying, we've th three shows, folks, uh, three parties here. And we're, we're still we're still uh, putting trying to lay down the the what is it? The the je ne sais quoi, the, you know, uh, of this of this whole thing of Dave of Dave Z's method. And, and I like that. I, I like that because not everything is so simple. And, you know, and, and speaking to Jason Lloyd, I mean, you know, you guys also have very different standards with what you'll watch. Jason will look at like a movie and be like, oh, it's got a 2.5 on IMDb. Hell yeah. I didn't realize it'd be that high. And you're just like, <laughs> you're like, oh, I don't know. It's this has got only a only an eight. <laughs> oh, no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, no, that's great. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't get it, D dude. I just I see things. I see like memes that people make people that I'm that I'm friends with and I see them do memes Sometimes even as like um, thumbnails for shows and things like that. And I look at it and the, the color that they use and the font that they use, the way it, the contrast that it has with the picture behind it, it doesn't match up. And when I look at it, I have to avoid it. I'm like, number one, I can't read every word and I don't know how you can. It, and that's just a basic <laughs> thing. I'm like, if I can't, how can you and how do you expect other people? That's just, I don't know. It's such a weird thing that I'm like, how come other people can't see it? But I'll tell you what, I wish we could do a segment where people just bring, uh, you know, bring covers and say, hey, what's up with this color cover? What do you think about this art? And and, and is this a yay or an A and why? Explain. Although we do kind of do that each week when we do the new releases. Yeah, uh, no, yeah, know. definitely. Yeah, we, should, we sure do. And yeah, maybe we'll, we'll make a little more of a conscious effort. This time around, I haven't studied the covers that we're going to go over, so hopefully I can add some value to that and play along with you and see if we can flesh that out together. That, that might be fun. And I think over yeah. time, I think over over the duration of this big party that we're doing, uh, you know, like I said last time, ain't no party like Watsy Party, Watsy Party, don't stop. Uh, over the duration of this party, we'll see, you know, if we can just keep fleshing that out and see if we can put words to it and put, put a... You know, sort of a spoken method to it, you know, if, if it lends itself to that, you know, so yeah, well, so yeah, thank, thank you, Roberto, for, for writing us. I love it when people yeah. write and uh, we, we actually had somebody else, uh, a gentleman named uh, Raphael was going to write too, and I didn't receive an email from him. He, he actually reached out to me to be like, oh, can I write you guys an email? I'm like, yeah, he new guy in the, in the group page on the Facebook. And I was like, dude, yeah, absolutely right. We'd, we'd love, we'd love the feedback. It, 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 it touches our hearts, folks. It, it, make, it makes the, the party just go that much better. Absolutely. We do love it. We want more of it. And yeah, and I, I'm going to say something. I looked at it right before we went online today. I looked at our, our uh, iTunes and we have we do have one rating. Oh, we do? So, 
Yes, we do. We have a rating and we have a write-up. I hope that more people out there will subscribe and rate. You know what, though? What the hell? I, I will read it because it's, it's good stuff. Oh, okay. sweet. Okay. Yeah, why not? It came in June 13th, so pretty recent. Amaze Balls from Drums DW98. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Z and Watson are both class acts who create an intimate environment for their listeners. Join the party. You won't be disappointed. Boom. Thank you. Ah, uh, <laughs> yes, so. yes, yes. That, you know, it, 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 that's so cool to hear. You know, I sort of gave up with the iTunes thing with Horror Corridor because it just, I think uh, so many people knew the show was ending for so long that everybody was just like, eh, <laughs> not going to write in to say anything about that. And I was just like, hey, you know what? That's fine. I'm not pushing it. You don't got to do it. It's all right. Like, I'm not, uh, you know, whatever. So, yeah, the fact that someone wrote in for this, I, 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 I had been under the, I think, the mistaken impression that iTunes was going away. But, uh, like, Apple Podcasts isn't. So, I guess reviews still do, still are a thing. So, that's why I wasn't pushing. And I thought, oh, I guess if iTunes is leaving. But I, I don't know the details. I think anybody who knows more about the topic that I'm speaking on right now might be like, uh, don't, don't, don't talk anymore. And you know what? I will, I will meet you halfway, folks. I'll, I'll talk more, but not about that. So, well, thanks for reading that, Dave Z. And well, I, shoot, I think it's high time we get ourselves into act one of the Watsy Party Horror Show and give these folks some party favors. You down with that, my man? Yes, yes, let's do it. It is now time for the What's Z Party Horror Show Party Favors segment to commence. My friends, I've got butterflies in my tummy and I'm feeling all in love and fluttery. Have I just met the girl of my dreams here in these sweltering Pacific Northwest summer months? I most certainly have not, but... You better believe I'm feeling this way because I see that Dave Z has an armful of party favors for all us party people. Now folks, before Dave Z takes us into the July 2019 releases proper, we're first going to do a callback to episode 2 and give you all some quick, few sentence long mini reviews of any June 2019 movies that we mentioned in the party favor segment on the last episode. Dave Z, did you happen to catch any June 2019 films? The only June that I saw was... um things at the theater so i it's still it's been so long since i've watched anything vod from this year i keep i still keep making that list it's probably like 15 movies now so i have been to the to the theater i i have seen two how about you i saw let me let me let me do a quick count here i think i saw like maybe four one two three four five nice wow Okay, well, I guess I'll go quick. I'll t- uh, well, maybe you've seen some of what I've seen. Uh, I saw Ma at the theater, and, well, I enjoyed it. Uh, my streak continues. Ma is, uh, I think, most... Uh, do Have we spoken about it? We did speak on it on the first it. episode, yeah. Yeah, we did uh, on the first show. So, Octavia Spencer had a, had a really good performance. Juliette Lewis is one of my favorite, probably is my favorite actress ever. So oh, she's nice great. To, oh, man, I, I've loved her. And you know what? I've grown up with her. I mean, I'm pretty sure she's the same age I am. She's right there. So I've kind of grown up with her. I've watched her movies from from childhood to now. And it was great to see her. She was very familiar in this role because she played a, uh, a waitress at a casino. And I worked in casinos for many years. So she was yep. uh, very relatable. And then we had her daughter... Um, what was her name? Maggie in the movie? I want to say Maggie. But anyway, I think you guys pretty much get the gist of it. I'm going to read the synopsis just because. 
Uh, a yep. lonely woman befriends a group of teenagers and decides to let them party at her house. Just when the kids think their luck couldn't get any better, things start happening that make them question the intention of their host. Now, I thought this was... I, I, I don't want to say I thought, but I was hoping it wasn't just going to go a typical thriller slash horror movie route where, you know, the kids come in and I, I could pretty much predict everything start to end. And, and it didn't, even though I did see a little of the trailer, which, yes, does go against my rules, but I somehow I did see it in the theater, and I didn't know what it was going to be, so I, I hung hung on with the trailer the first time, and then I realized I was going to like it, so I stopped looking. But <laughs> It happens, yeah, but I do yeah. the same thing, my friend. Yeah, it just, because when it first started, I thought it was going to be just like a, a thriller, like, um, I don't know, just like those those 90s and, and 80s thrillers that had that set up. But, yep. Like I said, her performance is great. Uh, the kids were all pretty relatable. It was pretty believable. Everything that went down, I wasn't like, wow. Usually you watch movies like that and you're like, why would you make that decision? Everything, for the most part, made sense to me. And I had fun with it. And I really liked the way uh, it, it wrapped up. I, I'll just keep it brief. I, I, it's an 8 out of 10 for me. And nice. Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it. Did you see this? Oh, I can't no? wait to see I did not see it. I can't wait to, though. All right, I, I think you will like it. Um, nice. It's been a little while since I saw it. Well, not a little while, but for me, because my memory is as bad as it is. But and <laughs> that's the thing. If I go to the theater, I don't. I take no notes. So I'm just going, you know, when someone says, what do you think about the movie you saw three weeks ago? I'm like, well, yeah, um, I liked it. Eight out of ten. You know? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I saw it three weeks ago. <laughs> I'm terrible. My wife was just busting my balls. Like, and I'm like, all this time being married to me, you still don't know? It's like, and my brother, even the other, I'm, I'm going through Breaking Bad again. I went through The Sopranos for the fifth time, right? Okay, and I decided I'm going to go through Breaking Bad again, and I watched it like, I don't know the first uh, maybe three years ago so i said i'm gonna watch breaking bad again so the other day my brother's also going through it and he says to me oh man this this episode this did this season that was great because i don't like what happened here with somebody died i said somebody I go, what happened what someone died who he's like yeah because you don't remember i said i said no i only saw it once he goes, i don't know how you don't remember i said i don't know either but if you don't know me by now you'll never ever ever know me so. <laughs> that's why you do the Dave Z second view because your second view, Dave, because you, you, you didn't see it. The, you, you didn't see the first time. Uh, you're right. It doesn't. <laughs> I see it. It registers, it, it, but it doesn't stay in my brain. It leaks out through my ear holes eventually. It just. Oh, I love it. I don't know why it happens, but it does. Uh, OK, one more movie I saw. I did see the new child's play. Oh, um, I'm excited to hear about this. I did not see this. OK, well, I'll tell you what. I enjoyed this one as well. Child's Play did what a remake should do. They didn't... I mean, they kept the title, obviously. They kept yeah. the title character characters uh, with Andy and with Chucky. And they put a modern spin on it. It, it worked out. I, going into it, I didn't... Because I didn't know anything. I was thinking, well, from what I saw, that boy looks too old to have a doll. But it's not a doll. It's, it's just... I don't want to give anything away, but it's done in a way where it makes sense why he would have it and everything going oh, okay. on. Yeah, and uh, Mark Hamill, there's the voice of Chucky. I did not one time think of Mark Hamill as I'm watching it. So it's almost like, and from what I've heard, the way he does his Joker voice, everyone thought it was going to be that, and it really wasn't. So it's done really well. I was concerned about seeing a different voice for Adele, but yes, it is Chucky, but it's not that Chucky. It's this Chucky. So it didn't really... I didn't have any problem with the look of the doll or, 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 or like I said, Hamill's voice. Uh, the, the lead boy as Andy was good. This girl, his mother, Aubrey Plaza. 
Wow, man. Oh, she's the mom? Yes. Holy cow. What a pretty girl. My god. But anyway. Yep, yep. Whew. Um she was she did a good job. Uh the, the story it all really worked. I, I was I was actually even higher at one point as I'm watching the film because I I was very much into it. The kills were good. They were fun. And it all made sense. And they tributed it the right way. They sprinkled a couple things in there to make you think of the original. They did it the right way. They did it with, with there's a couple, even a couple of jokes. They did it the way a remake should be done. Uh, they, they, they take the title and they, they have a basic, then like Suspiria did it. You know what I mean? You just have a couple basic things, but you do your own. And that was good. And sir, here's something I really noticed. And I, I was hoping that's what it was such a clever thing. And I'm not going to spoil anything about, I'm not going to talk about the film anymore. I'm going to talk about one little thing I noticed in the film. Do it. In Andy's room, he has some posters on his wall. Horror movie posters, some other things. For whatever reason, well, I, I knew the reason and I was hoping that they were being clever and they were. But two of the posters in the room that are the most visible, one of them was Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And, yeah. the, and the other was Poltergeist 3. So, as I'm watching this movie, and uh, I'm being 100% honest, I don't know if anybody else came out and said anything about it. I've only listened to one podcast talk about it, and they didn't mention it. So, I don't know if the news, if someone else notices. Because to me, it was, I was like, well, maybe it's obvious what they're doing. When I go home, I'm going to look. But those two movies were released in 1988. And I was hoping that's what was going on because that was the same year the original Child's Play was released. And that's what oh, they did. Oh, dude. Isn't that nice? Isn't that clever Sharp, thinking? Yeah. Astute observation, my friend. Wow. I mean, I saw that. I'm like, why those two random movies? And that's what occurred to me. I'm like, I wonder if they were made the same year as Child's Play. Sure enough, I went home, looked on the B, and they're both released in 88. So I was like, bravo, bravo. Good job, guys. But go see the movie. I'm, I'm repeating myself by, with, the, with the rating, but it ends up being another 8 out of 10. So... Jeez, man, this has gotten me really excited to see this because I've just I, I didn't I wouldn't say I've written this movie off, but it wasn't something. Obviously, I didn't see the trailer. I know nothing about it, not even a synopsis. I just know that it's, you know, a divergent thing from the original series. I know what it's doing. Rock and roll. I will see it, but I just wasn't. It's not on my radar. It's, it'll be one of those things at the end of the year. I'll be like, oh, OK, but. If, if you're writing this an eight, it, it will be on the list. I just got, uh, I just, I just went back to my ex, uh, movie pass and, uh, yeah, she, she said she's changed. And so, <laughs> so I, I said, I said, okay, baby, I'll, I'll, t I'll take you back. And, and so part of this is, you know, we'll see child's play and, you know, I'll, I'll see how she's doing and be like, okay, well, you know, this was worth it for me to come back. So yes, I, I will see that. And, uh, thanks for talking that up. I, I'm, I'm. I'm excited about it. Shoot. I, I do. I think that you're going to like it. I was even higher. I was like hovering in the 8.5 for most of, for a lot of it. And I was like, then by the end, you know, I'm not being, saying something bad happened. It just, at the end sure. of it, I was like, eh, not, I was a little high with it. Eight and a half. I, I'll stick with the eight. You know what I mean? So, but still, obviously a recommend. And I, I do think you'll like it. Most of the feedback I've heard has been positive. Although some of the negative feedback I heard, guess what they did? <laughs> Compared it to the original. Don't uh, compare. Yep. Going back to, to episode one and all that other stuff. Just stop. But anyway, that's all I'll say about that. Indeed, indeed. Well, shoot. D Dave Z, good, good selections there. Seems like you saw two strong ones. I saw five. So let's see what we got here. First was the cleaning lady. Uh -huh. A woman who is trying to distract herself from her affair with a married man befriends a badly scarred cleaning lady and hilarity ensues. 
Dave Z, we were talking on the first episode of this show about wanting to see female killers on screen more, and this one gives us exactly that. These reviews aren't supposed to be long, so I'll just say this. Uh, it goes into some much darker territory than I was expecting. We'll just say that there were scenes that played out where I was like, there's no way that just happened, and it did, and I was like, yikes, that, that gives me the willies just even thinking about that. I'm going 7.5 out of 10 on The Cleaning Lady. See it before the year's out. Cleaning Lady 2019. Next, there's Recovery. A young and idealistic psychiatrist, Dr. Jessica Barnes, makes a decorated war hero her personal project at a remote treatment facility for women. It soon becomes clear that they are battling more than just their past when a mysterious killer begins picking them off one by one. So I've liked Stephanie Pearson since seeing her in last year's Downrange. And while she shined in this film yet again, I found myself like unable to connect with any of the characters in this film, especially hers. You know, a working connection to the characters would really have served to strengthen this film's super basic slasher narrative. Still, we're dealing with the female antagonist, which I'm down with, and despite the kills being on the lackluster side, I really did enjoy the overall story and the setup, enough to want to see it through. Another 7.5 out of 10, that's Recovery 2019. Wow. Next up is Knife Plus Heart. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's on Shutter right now, Dave Z, by the way. Yes, we spoke about it last show. We were both looking we forward sure did. to it. Yeah. So, the synopses that are out there on this film, Dave Z, are all over long. So, we'll just say that it's a French language slasher giallo 70s throwback period piece that takes place in the underground gay porn scene of 1979 Paris. And we follow film director Anne as her cast of actors is being picked off one by one by a masked killer. So, as for my mini review, I'm going to turn, folks, listen to this. I'm going to turn to the Watsi Party Horror Show Twitter account where I wrote up the following. This film's strength lies in its ability to draw out the humanity of its troubled characters while maintaining both scares and levity. The sleazy 70s aesthetic is flawless, a worthy slasher giallo for sure. On Shutter now, 8.25 out of 10. Nice. Yeah, so... So there we go. Yeah, keep up to date in the Watsy, the Watsy Twitter. That's at Watsy Party, W-A-T-Z-E-E-P-A-R-T-Y, because you gotta, where I plan to do more of these mini Twitter reviews. So, in fact, I did, did I say 8.25? Because I meant to write 8.5. That's right. I, I copied and pasted the Twitter, but I, I, I made a little note to myself. Tell the party people it's 8.5, not 8.25. That little, just that little bump. So, yeah. There we go. See it as soon as you can, folks. On Shutter. that's Knife Plus Heart 2019. Next is the movie Boar. An abnormally large boar kills people off one by one in the harsh Australian outback. So this is a silly creature feature that doesn't take itself too seriously, yet it's got a lot of heart. Uh, the cast is solid. Nathan Jones of Charlie's Farm fame has never been more lovable. Wolf Creek's own villainous John Jarrett, Mick, Mick Taylor, he's... He's he's actually the protagonist in this movie, and he's great. Bill Mosley as this silly American dad character was oddly entertaining, if not a little, like, jarring to be like, wait, aren't you supposed to be a badass and killing and you're goofing up and being silly? That's strange, but uh, the good practicals make up for the pretty bad CGI. Fun, fun little romp, folks. 7 out of 10. Check it out on Shudder. It's Boar 2019. And finally, I caught Nightmare Cinema. Five strangers watch their deepest and darkest fears play out before them in an abandoned theater as the projectionist, played by Mickey Rourke, preys upon their souls with his collection of disturbing films. So I did another Twitter mini review for this, so I'll read that, and it goes as follows. A pulpy horror anthology helmed by five of horror's finest working directors. Despite the occasional tonal misstep, this is a fun, bleak, and bloody bit of horror miscellany that pulls no punches 8 out of 10. 
So if you love horror anthologies, definitely give this one a go, my friends. It goes, it, it goes there is what is all I'll say. And that's Nightmare Cinema 2019. And I think the last thing I should say is that after we record this episode, I, I'm, I'm going to see the new Annabelle film. So yeah, there's, I'll be seeing that today. So I, I can't speak on it, but I'm sure, I'm sure I'll find it favorable enough. And yeah, that does it for our mini review recaps. Let's get properly into these party favors then, Dave Z, unless there's anything else. What do you say we do that? I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. Take us in, buddy. July 2nd. All right. July 2nd, which happens to be a Tuesday. Okay. I want to make sure I'm on the right page here. Uh, yes. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, the Tuesday release dates. We're good. So we have a couple movies coming to VOD that day, uh, both starting with D. The first is going to be Dowls. That's right, Dowls. Not from 1987, from 2019. And I'm pulling it up now. I have not looked at any of these synopsis, or synopses or anything. Oh, okay. I save everything for natural reaction for the show. All I do is the research. I realize that it's horror when I look it up on the B, and I save it, and that's where it goes. So, Dowls. Yep, I haven't seen these either, man. So, yep, we're seeing it together. So I can tell you what. Just by looking at the cover again, it's quality artwork. I could never, ever do it myself, but it's it shows to me, it looks like an avoid to me. But let, let's continue on with the synopsis. A struggling children's book author and his rebellious teenage daughter move into a house they've inherited and find mysterious dolls in the attic. The father and, saw, bleh, the father and daughter soon <laughs> learn that the dolls have a sinister and deadly past. Okay, well... Pretty run-of-the-mill f- sounding. D. Wallace is in this movie. Yeah, I see D. Wallace. Yeah, there yeah. she is. There. What do you want to bet? There's going to be a scene where the the teenage daughter is like kind of pissed off, and she's got like earbuds in, and she kind of looks at them like. <sighs> what do you want to bet that's going to happen? That's if if, if uh, let me just tell you this. If there are any horror writers who who listen to this, and and maybe you're thinking, oh man, you know it'd be really good if if I if I if I made a, if I wrote a teenage just a teenage character in general and they got their earbuds in go f- yourself and, and and go back to the drawing room and I'm, um, that's another hard edit dave z but go go back to the drawing room and go you know let's try a little harder let's let's, let's be better I, I i like to keep it positive so i'll just i just say don't write that just just we're done with it and i guarantee that's in this movie and if i'm wrong then you know i'll 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 admit it next episode i'll be like well not as if i'm gonna watch this but if somebody does watch this let me know if the teenage daughter has earbuds in and has a cocky look on her face and maybe rolls up and in in their vehicle at the start and she's like in the backseat or passengers just like <laughs> yeah so anyways dave z i am seeing, <laughs> it's one of my cliche rants i'm seeing no information on any, anything about this as far as ratings go trivia this is uh it, folks whenever you look at imdb and maybe there's no you just see that blank that blank area where the ratings go, where where it tells you like the, you know what language it is, and, and and all these things, just those little details, blank blank little area there. Yes, very blank. Although this is not blank. Right on the cover of the box, an amazing catchphrase. Oh, I'm being sarcastic. Um, <laughs> when you look away, they play. Oh, okay. yeah, I just, I just zoomed in on it. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. I mean, come on, just no. Everything about this. Just, <laughs> this is this is not a Dave Z movie. No, I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's some you know kick-ass killer doll. They look good. They're dolls. They they come. They because if you look at the cover, they do look like interesting different dolls. Or the baby with a gashed eye. There's some uh, ventriloquist dummy-looking thing dressed in a suit. You got a, a hanging baby in the back. You got some other um, I don't know jester gnome-looking thing holding a bloody knife. And I don't know. 
they look kind of cool and right in front of me got this red haired um you know china doll faced kind of thing bashed up i mean they look good in the picture but uh, obviously i'm guessing that's going to be cgi and it's going to be like some full moon type thing but i'm guessing i don't know what do i know we'll see but going by this i'm saying it's an avoid but that's me all right the other d movie dead sight Oh, by the way, Dowls is coming to uh, VOD. I'm sure nobody thought that it was coming to theaters, but I'm just <laughs> being <laughs> doing what I'm supposed to do here. Okay, Dead Sight, also VOD. Okay, a man with partial blindness and a young pregnant police officer must work together to escape a deadly virus that has spread across Gray County. Hmm, okay, Dead Sight, let me look here. Well... That cover's not half bad. It's not half bad... Reminds me of like, it's got like a 70s aesthetic to it. Yeah. Yeah, that zombie looks a little bit like, well, I don't know if it's a zombie, but whatever that thing is, it looks a little like something that would have wandered off um, a Fulci film. So it certainly does. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. You're right. I'll give you that. It doesn't look half bad. So who knows? Uh, who's in this movie? Anybody know Liv Collins is the lead? I don't know who that is. Liv <clears throat> Collins. I don't know. Creep Nation. Wow, she's in a couple, another movie coming out this year. It's already out. Creep Nation, 4.4 4 out of 10. Okay. Oh. And Dead Sight, 6.1 out of 10 with eight votes. So. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Zombie or infected movie, Dave Z? Yeah, that's... Yeah, that's what it looks like what we've got here. And if, if the... the corpse-looking creature on the cover is any, you know, in indicator of what kind of creatures these two will be facing, then, you know, it, 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 that, that'd be pretty neat to see that brought to screen. You know, it look, means it, they certainly look undead. That they do. And the, the graveyard in the background on the cover with the typical, um, you know, graveyard ghouls walking around looks kind of appealing. But... Oh, is that what it's, is that what it has? Oh, yep, sure does. Okay, so th this is definitely this does uh, this screams undead to me, which is which is pretty neat. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'll be keeping my eye. I mean, with six point one out of ten, with eight ratings on IMDb here <laughs> on the Internet Movie Database, it's I'll be keeping an eye on this number. And if it stays solid as these, you know, as as more ratings flood in, this will be one I'll check out. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that's gonna happen. I'm, a wait and Z. It's a wait and Z, but I, I'm, I'm earring on, on the side of, of it not going to be good. But we'll see. Okay. Now we move along. Aha! I know you're excited for this one. July 3rd at the cinema, Midsommar. Oh, man. Big the, the, the sophomore... Effort? Sophomore movie. <laughs> I'm just like, I, my brain just went blank. I was just like, whoa, I, I did nothing. Okay, yeah, no, it, yeah, the, the sophomore effort of Mr. Ari Aster, and I have not seen a trailer for this. I don't even know what it's about. This is the first time I'm going to be hearing a synopsis on this, so I'm, I, yeah. Oh, what, okay. what do we got, Dave Z? Here's what we got. A couple travels to Sweden to visit a rural hometown's fabled midsummer festival. What begins mm. as an idyllic retreat quickly devolves into an increasingly violent and bizarre competition at the hands of a pagan cult. Well, that's kind of spoilerific. Oh, I, I wonder if if we're, well, just, just looking at these images, it does look cultish from the get-go, and considering Ari Aster has dealt with this territory before, yeah. uh, I'm not surprised. 
One thing I do know about this film is that Jordan Peele uh, did an interview with Ari Aster about this film. I didn't read it because I didn't want to see any spoilers, but uh, no, I did read it. That's right. And, and there were no spoilers. That's right. I, I, I grappled with that. And Jordan Peele was asking uh, their dialogue. It was like just two super smart people talking about film, like two experts with their talking shop. It was it was it was pretty cool, man. You know, it's, it's almost like they sort of know, hey, we're kind of a. We're kind of a thing right now, and uh, we're but they're, they're honest about it. I've, I've seen interviews with both those guys, and they, they seem like such just cool, nice guys. And so, yeah, but Jordan Peele actually interviewed Ari Aster about this film, and I'm hopeful. I mean, if 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 Hereditary was any indication of what this guy can do behind the camera, you know, it remains to be seen, of course, if this is good. Again, folks, you know, there are no rating indicators here I, there's no number no amount of ratings so all we have to go off is, is what he's done before and you know hey I, i'm gonna give it a go what do you think about this cover i like it looks like a photo shoot that it does uh, i guess with the, as far as this cover is concerned i'm not even concerned because I, I know that it's you know i know who the director is yeah right and you know i'm just leaving it at that but yeah that looks that looks quality enough you know this and so I, I do I do want to put this out there because uh, you know I've, I've talked with people on the group pages and you know even though I would say hereditary is probably my favorite film horror film of the 21st century uh, I, I I'm still I'm not hyped for this I don't feel anything really I'm very Zen uh, and I don't mean to be I, I don't know if it's something that's wrong with me or if it's like I, I just got it down but I, I just feel I'm, I want to see it and I will see it probably opening day. I'll break out my movie pass and be like, yo, Mr. Watson. And that's what the card says, Mr. Watson on it. I'll be like, hey, Mr. Watson's let let me in. Like, homie, let me in. I'm not, no, I'm not even paying. Just just get out of my way. I'm in. But yeah, I don't feel anything, but I, I will go see it and, and I'll probably feel it in the theater. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty chill too, buddy. I'm pretty chill. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sitting here just like, oh my God, Ari Aster made my, my favorite horror film of the 21st century. Oh my God, I can't wait to blow this movie and tell everybody it's good before I see it. It's, it's like the same when you, you start dropping massive hate on a movie you haven't seen just because, you know, you, you're... I don't know. I, I just don't want to go there with it. So I'm just keeping my, keeping my thoughts to myself and hopefully it's good. Yeah, and the early feedback I've gotten is that it is good. Okay. Uh, I, and I'll leave it at that. I've heard I haven't heard a bad review on it. I've heard like three or four people that have seen it, and none of it's been bad. So, Sweet. so so far so good. It, it's weird. I feel that way about this movie, and I also feel that way about the Lighthouse, the next movie from from you know Robert Eggers. Oh, the Witch. same here. I'm just kind of yeah. chill about it. I don't know. I don't want to get excited, and I'm just I don't know what to expect because it seems like a little bit different. Kind of like this thing. I don't know. I, something about these kind of movies. They could end up being really boring and not be not be for for me or or, or you. I don't know. I, no, I, sure. It isn't like getting excited for like a another kind of movie. Like like you know, I don't know. I I can't put into I I know what you're saying that you have a, a zen approach to it and I do too. So I don't know, but we'll get to that when we get to it. All right, let me. Uh, sure thing. Let's get on to July 9th. And oh, uh, quick, quick, Dave Z, what was the date that this is coming out? Was this still July? Okay, July 3rd. It's okay, July thanks. 3rd. I, I, I forgot. Yeah, that's quite all right. Yeah, it's a Wednesday. So, yeah, it's coming out the day oh. before the 4th of July. Watch out, people. Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. So maybe on the 4th, you can sneak in there if you got nothing better to do and you might not be busy. Who knows? You know? I don't know. I'll probably be working, but whatever. Okay. Uh, <laughs> July 9th <laughs> to VOD, The Dark Within. Let's see. Okay, a look okay. At this. A disturbed man 
with unknown psychic abilities, tries to unravel the mystery of his parents' disappearance while battling his own demons. Okay, let's see here. The Dark Within. Well, interesting, uh, interesting cover. Although, I don't know. I don't know. Sure. Yeah, it says the tagline, the past can be deadly. Okay. Mm, all right. Um, I don't know. Nothing on the B at all. Again, this one comes to us from the UK, so... Yep, no recognizable names to me at least. So, yeah, this 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 will be a wait and see for sure because yeah, I'm not I'm not seeing any names that I recognize, and I, the like the director David Ryan Keith, uh, you know he's done nothing I know of. I did, I think he did he did you know what this guy did one that I saw a few years ago called Ghosts of Darkness that I. I'm not sure if I reviewed it for a Bloody Bits episode for Jason Lloyd or if I I think he just maybe threw the link to the movie for me even though I was reviewing something else and I remember feeling like it was pretty bland so hopefully this is a step in the right direction hey you got it you got to start somewhere you get better each time so hopefully yeah the dark within is an improvement over that and that this guy uh, it makes a makes an entertaining movie yeah hopefully I'm I, I don't know I, I'm predicting it's not going to be very good I look at the other movies he's done uh, and just looking at those covers and everything else I'm seeing about, it just seems like you just making uh, these random films, and they're not really anything special. So, but all right, maybe I'll be wrong. But gun to my head, I gotta come up with a, a title for that for that gimmick I started last show, where I'm saying if I, if someone sends me to a desert island and they they give me 200 horror movies, you know, I, I pick one out of the pile. I can only I can only watch 100. If I see this, I'm throwing it. I'm not gonna watch. Yeah, it. I gotta think of a title for that. The yeah, 50, we we gotta think of that. Definitely. Oh, what would you say for Midsummer? Well, I, of course, just because of the director, I, I would have to watch it. Nice, nice. Based just on the cover, that that it's hard to say. That that's a you know that that's a wait and see, I guess. But I mean, yeah. With any knowledge, yeah. I, I even if I if I had zero knowledge of it, and I saw that cover. I don't know. To be honest, you know that cover, just the bright colors, the the color palette of that poster, kind of you know sort of juxtaposed with the idea that it is a horror movie intrigues me so and of course I'm, we're back to midsummer again i, I uh, not uh, what, what was it called what was this movie called that we're supposed to be talking about oh, the dark within yeah the dark within <laughs> yeah I, I don't know so yeah dark within uh, that's not i'm I, I hate to be so judgy but it's not so it's this is probably not going to be one i i get to sorry sorry buddy sorry what are you gonna do you're you're, you're you're better than I am. At least you give some of these movies a, you know, a fair shake or I, I'm kind of dismissive. So <laughs> I still, but I still don't watch them. <laughs> yeah, but you did watch a couple. You watched um, The Cleaning Lady and I, I, I don't know if, 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 if I said it was a wait and Z or what I said. And I think you watched another one. That yeah, I, I took a chance watched. on that one because yeah. I, I just was like, you know, I need something new to watch tonight. And I listened to one, uh, a YouTuber that I really enjoy by the name of Spooky Astronauts. She's out of the the Australia. I'm a big fan of her. And, and she seemed to, she likes disturbing stuff. And she seemed to think it was like a, a, a you know, pretty disturbing movie. And I was just like, okay, I'll check it out on her recommendation. And and so I did, I did watch something on it. But it was spoiler free. She didn't really say much about it, just her opinion. I, I like her reviews because they're sharp like that. But so, yeah, anyways, yeah, so that's a, I'll probably be skipping this movie though, so, but I did give that one a fair shake, and this next one is one I will see at some point, and uh, yeah, Dave Z, what's this one? Oh, for July 12th, you mean? Yes. Okay, July 12th, we have Darlin'. That's that's a VOD. Is that the one you're talking about? You're going to give it a a shake? Yep. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. 
I'll read the synopsis in, <laughs> on the B. <laughs> you see oh, what this says? Oh, look at that synopsis. That's a... Uh, <laughs> The, the, man, this is this one thing I've constantly made fun of IMDb for. The, they, they're so helpful with so much information, with film specs, with trivia, with different, you know, where where things are filmed, where you know this and that. But then, but then the, their synopsis game is is is, is well. Read read that. <laughs> yeah, because they're submitted by people. This is what it says: a direct sequel to 2011's The Woman. That's it. <laughs> That's the synopsis. <laughs> great, That's great, great work there. Great, great work there. And it's it is directed by Pollyanna McIntosh, who was a character in The Walking Dead, and so that's kind of cool. Yes, she was also a character in the last movie, in The Woman. She was the woman herself. So I n- I never saw The Woman. Ooh boy! Oh, I think it's his best film. How's that? I, I, it's oh, Lucky, it's Lucky McKee. And yeah, yeah, uh, it's right up there with May. It, it, it's a great movie. Man, now man. there's a, a movie before that, right? Or was it a short story? It's like Offspring, or yes. is that a movie? No, no, it, it was a movie, The Offspring, and I never saw it actually. Because like when the woman came along, I heard later on that it was a sequel to to The Offspring, but I don't think it was the oh. same. It's not the same director or or anything like that. So I didn't know. I didn't. I, it, Jack Ketchum wrote the uh, the screenplay, I believe. I think Jack yep, Ketchum yep. wrote the book. And maybe the second book, and I don't know if this one's based on a book, so terribly sorry. I don't know. But It does say writers Jack Ketchum, but then it, in, in a little parenthetical there, it does say based on characters created by him. So mm-hmm. it, I think that it, he's getting a writing credit simply for being the creator of The Woman and Darlin. Okay, well, I'll tell you this. I was looking forward to this because of how much I, I enjoy The Woman, but when I found out that... that um that she was directing i wasn't so sure because i don't know about her her filmography as a director i I don't think i think this is the only thing she's directed which doesn't mean anything a lot lot of debut directors have been fantastic but absolutely you know i i would have been a little more excited if i heard that lucky mckee was directing it being a direct follow-up to his film but i'll tell you this uh two people i I have seen this movie jason lloyd and i want to say jeremy freeman have seen Uh this and both of them and I'm, I'm pretty sure they're both fans of the woman. I, I know Jason definitely is. They were yeah. both disappointed by this. Okay, so, okay. I'm not looking forward to it. I may get around to it. I may not. It's another, it's, it's, it's a wait and see. I'm going to see what other people say. Because I know a lot of people are going to see this movie because a lot of people like the woman. So, you know. Yeah, I was planning to do a double feature where I watched the woman and then this one. But maybe I should just go full out and do the offspring as well. And this one so far, folks, has a 5.7 out of 10 out of 43 ratings on the B. So, you know, I guess I I, I guess we'll see what this number does. But I, I, I think I will get to it before the end of the year. I can see it. I can see that happening. I can see that, too. And the thing, if it would say 7.7 out of 10 after 43. Oh, now that's, yeah. Because that's, that's logical. Because it's only 7.7 and it's only 43. You know what I mean? So that's like, I think that's how good movies how they place when you look at something newer you know if 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 it's nine point something then it's probably a lot of people that are you know that work for for the movie but a 7.7 to me that's like that that has promise when i see 5.7 i'm like eh, that, that means so many people have seen it at festivals you know like like if jason or jeremy was to put up a rating i think they put up like a four or something like that something like that. i don't know but but we'll see and maybe maybe yeah, i'll yeah. get to it so okay okay yeah. uh crawl 
Oh boy, and they are pimping the hell out of this movie all over the B. Every time I look at uh, any movie so far, looking at this thing at the bottom on the screen, uh-huh. there's an advertisement for Crawl, and it says, "I don't know anything about this movie. I I, I think I've heard it mentioned, but I don't. This is one I don't." know anything about except for i do i am familiar with the lead actress and i'm very excited to see her so yeah Let's what's this see. one about dave z all right crawl a young woman while attempting to save her father during a category five hurricane finds herself trapped in a flooding house and must fight for her life against alligators oh okay all right yeah. i'm down with that this all oh, and directed by alexandra aja so that's Ooh, that's really good, yes. and folks. Yeah, that that's that's how you say it. That's what's up. No, and and uh, the the lead actress is Kaya Scott uh, Scotellario, who was Effie in the British, uh, well, original Skins show, and she is quite a beautiful young lady. Oh, okay, all right. Interest has been peaked. Let's see. I mean, I don't know what she looks like now, but <laughs> skin. I guess she was pretty young in Skins, and in fact, I, I almost want to do a little math and find out if it's okay for me to say that. But hey, listen, <laughs> ninety-two. Listen, she was born in ninety-two. Take it from there. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not. See, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but <laughs> what I will, what I will do, is say that you know, hey, the 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 last couple girls I've dated were were, were born later than that, and everybody and and everybody's fine. So it, yeah. it's it's okay. I agree. It is. A, when did you watch Skins? As as it as it originally? Oh God! Two, oh geez, it would have been probably two thousand nine. <laughs> okay. I think she. I think she would have been like a little. She would have been a little kid, uh, or, or like not like a teenager in the in the first couple seasons. But then she be, she's only a side character in like the first two seasons. It's season three where she becomes a main character because that uh. that show was really clever about cycling its characters like that. And so I think you know then then it'd be okay to be. You know, then they start putting her in more adult situations, probably because she was of age. Don't judge me. Don't don't judge me, folks. Never. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you. I, I didn't like touch her. <laughs> yeah, hey, listen, it's okay, buddy. No. By, the, by the time you watched it, she was what they call in the videos barely legal. But the word then legal then I, I'm fi- I'm fine with that math. Yes. But yeah, no. And in any case, yeah. This, this <laughs> just in all serious all, all all seriousness now. Yes, this does look fun. I I'm down with this. Is, is this? Dave Z, is this going to be a VOD or is this going to the the theaters? No, this is a theater, man. You got to go oh. to the movies and see this one. Yeah, I will. Yeah, there's an early release on the 11th, the night before Thursday, the 11th, but uh, most people are going to see it uh, on the 12th. And yeah, interesting cover, not bad. Uh, I, uh, Aja being the director, is, yeah, is cool with me. Uh, this girl in the lead, I'm curious. I don't think this that I'm going to go see this at the theater, but I. I, I, I am definitely my expectations are somewhat somewhat high so, okay uh, I'm gonna wait and, and see what people have to say about it after they've seen it and how, how goes the news because it, it will come home before that year the year's end so like I said freaking look how quick they come pet cemetery also comes the same day or the week before I think already we just talked about it a couple months ago it's already coming to freaking to blu-ray and VOD so yeah and we and we mentioned it last time because I think it was getting a VOD release we've talked about yeah pet cemetery on all three episodes it was getting the theater release in on episode one it's getting a VOD release for episode two and now I think this is the the blu-ray announcement that, that's crazy things are things are moving fast man indeed all right well as long as we're talking about VOD and blue July 16th, The Curse of La Llorona, coming to VOD. Ah, yes. You want to see this Llorona. movie early. If you want to see it early, you just can't wait because it doesn't come out until August 6th on Blue. So they're doing that little thing where the uh, La Llorona... Interesting. Yeah, the VOD's coming out a full one, two, almost three weeks 
ahead of, uh, ahead of the blue. So if you really want to see that movie, July 16th, you can do it. I, for one... Did you see this movie, Dave Z? No, I did not. I probably, maybe will see it, but... I don't know. We'll have to see. I will see it. I will see it. Uh, you know when it hits VOD, I believe. What was the date on that? I, I just xed out the the page. <laughs> oh, uh, VOD July sixteenth. And uh, yeah, it, it looks okay. I like those supernatural films. I just, I just, I do. I don't know. It, it, it'll. I'll see it before the. I'll see the the Curse of La Llorona before the year's out. So. La Llorona. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right. You know, I think my wife wants to see it, so I'll, I'll probably have to watch it so cool yeah so i'll check that out okay july 23rd this one i didn't even know was being made but apparently it is coming to dvd it says and it's What's also that? a um a made for tv movie called critters attack yes made for tv really yes that's what it says critters attack tv movie 2019 wow d huh. wallace again but let me yeah we got two quickly. d wallace what up um, okay, follows 20-year-old Drea, or Dre, I don't know, who reluctantly takes a job babysitting for a professor of a college she hopes to attend. Struggling to entertain the professor's children, Trissy and Jake, along with their, along with her own little brother, Philip, Drea takes them on a hike, unaware that mysterious alien critters have crash-landed and started devouring every living thing they encounter. So. <laughs> okay, okay. My son and I saw Critters, uh, the, the the OG, on the big screen at a horror festival last year. So, yeah, that, that was pretty fun. The original? Yeah, dude. I, yeah. I, it's funny. I, I watched the original just for the first time like three years ago, and I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, it was. I think. Yeah, my, my son. Yeah, my son loves that schlocky stuff. He just gets a kick out of it. He yeah, and so yeah, he he was all down. And this film also has this new this new this new made for TV film Critters Attack 2019 has actress Ava Preston in it who I I praised her performance in oh what was that I I don't have the name I'll take I'll t- I'll take your dead was the name of it we talked about it on episode oh. 1 and okay. I just de- I, I I described her I said you know watch out for little Ava Preston I think she's like 13 or 14 but she she has an odd look to her in that her face looks like a woman's face like a grown woman's face but she's this kid and it's just an odd look I could see you know you know at Hollywood uh liking that and it factor for sure she's definitely adorable and yeah i hope she and, and she's a good performer too so yeah i'd like to see her in this as well right on d wallace yeah yeah uh, d wallace looks like the lead uh drea tashiana washington um very pretty so oh yeah yeah hmm. pretty lady for sure you know it's weird though because i haven't heard anything about this there's another critters i think there's a show coming out that i heard was just only so so or maybe yes it the is new out. binge yeah, that was on Shutter, I believe. It, it is on Shutter, so you can catch it there. It's a little, it's episodic. It's a, it's a serial thing. Re- really, sh- super short episodes like that waxwork thing. I think, or no, dead wax, dead wax. That's what, that's uh, what I'm thinking. Right. So very short and and straight to the point. So yeah, I, I will probably give that a watch. You know, in the next uh, six months or so. But, huh? <sighs> I don't know. I don't like the way this cover looks. I got, I gotta be honest about that. Well, I was like- talking about the new binge. I don't know if I'll be <laughs> checking this out. Yeah, the new binge. That, that, uh, I, like I said, I've heard that it's pretty low budge. Oh, so, really? Yeah, okay. So I was gonna probably avoid that unless I, you know, unless you watch it or something. And I hear directly from somebody that I trust that 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 it's actually better than I've been hearing. But I don't know. And as far as this one's concerned, Critters Attack. I don't know. The, the cover's weird. They're blue with red the eyes. Cover is weird. 
yeah, I don't know. It's not really doing anything for me. But, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I, I'm not... Like, I've only seen the first Critters, so... I'm, I'm Same not, here. I'm not rushing. I'm not rushing. Yeah, that's, that's not a franchise I was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta see me some Critters, and I gotta see me some Critters now. Right. <laughs> yeah, give me those Critters. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. And, and I think this speaks to what uh, Roberta Almanzo was talking about in his email to us, that this does have that, you know, and, and you know, why wouldn't it? You know, the Critters are probably going to be CGI creations on the screen, so this looks very... Just a very photoshopped, and there's nothing bad about the photoshop necessarily, but if we're speaking to the, I guess, the overall quality of a film and just like, you know, you get the graphic designer to knock this out for a few dollars and, and hey, you got a movie cover and that's fine. You know, you, you, guess who doesn't have a movie cover? Me. That's who. But yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's, 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 this wasn't a photo shoot that they did with the critters is all I'm saying. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I, I have to agree with that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so so there's that. Yeah, what, what else have we got, Dave Z? Okay, also on that day, we have the new Hellboy. It's coming out on Blue and VOD, July 23rd. Um, okay. I have not seen it. I've only seen the first one myself a few months ago. I, I oh. am interested because of the director, honestly. And Yeah, um, yeah. You know what I mean? Because I, I, I like what, what he's done, Neil Marshall. But yes. I don't know. Maybe I'll get around to it. I mean, you, I think you could do worse. Oh, Mila Jovovich is in this. I didn't know that. Wow. Oh, okay. Interesting. But yeah, Hellboy, based on the graphic novels by Mike Mignola or Mignola. Yep. Hellboy, caught between the worlds of the supernatural and human, battles an ancient sorceress bent on revenge. So there you go. The new Hellboy is also coming out that day. And a week later, a movie that we spoke about on our first episode, The Intruder, is coming out. Yep. To Blue and VOD on July the 30th. So, we'll see about that. And a new movie to wrap it up. July 30th, VOD, Crucible, or Crucible of the Vampire. I like that title. Ooh, that number. Let's see that number. Ooh, Madonna. Uh, yeah, uh, 3.9 out of 10 on the B. 500 ratings. Let's see. Young museum curator Isabel is sent to inspect a part of what seems to be a strange crucible. Why can't I say that word? Crucible. <laughs> Wait a minute. It's not crucible. You can't crucible. Crucible. I know how to say it, but today I'm not saying it right. Crucible. No, you know what? That that happened to me on our first episode where every time we were talking about <laughs> and let's just let's just air this out, folks. When every time we were talking about Mother Suspiriorum, for whatever reason we'd been talking for so long, I could not say it. And every time I'd say Suspirium, I'd like I'd be like, oh mother f***er. Like, oh <laughs> damn it. Like, what are you doing? Like uh, Enunciate. This isn't this isn't speaking spell over here. This is this is Watson. All right, and then I'd be like, okay, and then Mother Suspirium said, oh, and so I, I <laughs> I'm, I'm, I feel you, Crucible. Yeah, it, it's okay. Anyone that I interrupted to your your yeah, it's <laughs> exactly what I was going for when I said speaking spells, not those guys, but uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm sorry I interrupted your your synopsis. So yeah, young museum curator Isabel is sent to inspect a part of what seems to be a strange crucible buried near an eerie old manor. So with the 3.9 though, with 525 ratings, I'm Dave Z. This isn't even a Watt and Z. This is a a nope. You're right, and, and they're not doing anything to sell it by their cover either. So it's oh not no, for sure. It's not terrible. Uh, uh, let me let me. Let me take that back. It, it's okay. I, I mean, it's not as bad as Critters or, or, or the other ones. Uh, one or two that we've seen have been worse, but I don't know. 
Well, and I'll, I'll tell you this, and, and, and this this is indicative of my stance on this already. And if it's if it's judgy, then fine. You know, I'm living my best life. It is what it is. When when you scroll down a little bit, and after photos, if you're on a computer, it'll say more like this. And I see the movie Strip Club Massacre. Folks, I reviewed that on Bloody Bits, I think sometime in 2016 or 2017. I considered that to be the worst horror film I've ever seen. <laughs> yes. And it's a 5.8. Wow. Wait, wait Strip Club Massacre is a 5.8? 5.8 5. out of 10. What? 1,100, almost 1,200 Hold on. Ratings. Let me yes. click. Oh, my God. The, the, no. Folks, this is one of those cases like with Dark Summer where it's like a four point whatever, where it should be like, you know, where I rated that like an eight point, you know, like like an eight point five or something on Horror Corridor. This is one of those cases where I rated this, I think, like a one point five. And it was only topped uh, as far as wait, director Bob Clark. What What is going on here? No, no, of course, it wouldn't be that Bob Clark. But then, yeah, I, I'm Dave Z. This is throwing me off my game. We need to. <laughs> Get out of, I need to get out of this. It is not a 5.8, folks. Heed Mr. Watson's words. I watched that movie, so you don't have to. And the fact that it comes up with more like this with, with here. The only thing I've seen that's worse than Strip Club Massacre, in my estimation, was Shark Exorcist. And other than that, like, I, I'm just, I'm at a loss for words. So if Crucible of the Vampire will be better than those two, I'm sure. That's fair. And let me, let me, a little peek in, into my game here. Let me show you something. What, even though it's at 5.8, I do what I always do. I went down to the user reviews, okay? All right. And the first one, 1 out of 10. This, uh, oh. this is funny. Beware of imitators. The name Bob Clark suckered me into watching this before I realized it was made after he died. I'm like, <laughs> you mentioned it too, but I'm thinking <laughs> he died a long time he did. ago. Uh, why? But anyway, I, I, okay. Number, the first review, 1 out of 10. The second, 1 out of 10. The third, three out of ten. The fourth, one out of ten. The fifth, one out of ten. And the sixth, three out of ten. When those are the first six written reviews I see, that is enough for me. Yes, there is a five below it and another ten and another ten. I'm like, you know what? I'm going with the ones and the threes. I'm sorry. When I see that, no good movie gets ratings like that unless, unless it's a movie that may be style over substance and people are going to oh. hate it for that reason. However, a movie called Strip Club Massacre. This has none of either of those. No substance, no style. It's just, I, yeah. I listen, folks, <laughs> if you want to hunt it down, and you know what? I did look on the Horophilia site just last night at horophilia.com, folks, where this podcast can be located and where my podcast, Horror Corridor and Dave Z's all, you know, the plugs as we as we do it. If you're listening to this, you probably know how to use Google or whatever. I, I'm not going to spell it out for you. You're grownups. But the deal is I did notice that Jason had put up a lot of the the bloody bits episodes that I've been on. I don't know if he went through and found all my appearances and put them up there, but I found, so I bet I could track down my review of strip club massacre and put it out there for you folks. Cause Oh, and, and I even reviewed this as prof professionally, whatever this is just as, just like I would a movie that's an eight or a nine. I reviewed it just with that same approach and Oh brother. So I, I, Dave Z, I'm, I'm thrown off by this fight. Okay, but I'm glad that you you sort of eased things up. So, folks, I guess we got onto Strip Club Massacre 2017, but we were talking about Crucible of the Vampire, and that was the last of our films, was it not? That was the last of our films, yes. And just as I said, style over substance, boom, unintentional, or was it 
intentional oh, segue. Okay, okay. I see what Dave, folks, I see what Dave Z is doing there. Well, everyone, that concludes our party favor segment, which brings Act One of this horror show to a close. It is now time for the Wet Z Party Horror Show Horror Deep Dive segment to commence. All right, folks, we're here right now in the horror deep dive portion of the party, and this is our topic of discussion segment. This time around, as I was conducting my prep, okay, for our Showtime review of The Neon Demon 2016, much of the negative criticism leveled against that film had to do with people believing it to be merely style over substance. And then I recalled that during my prep for Suspiria 2018, I noticed the same things being said of that, and especially the 77 original. And, okay, this is a particular criticism that I see directed towards certain films, and I thought we might spend this segment mapping that term, style over substance, out a bit to see what we can make of it. Now, Dave Z, I admit that in the past, I've used that little catchphrase to express my feelings about a film I just saw, and whenever I have said that, it's always used in a negative light, it's never a compliment, but Dave Z, I'm coming to realize that to call something style over substance is a bit of an inadequate critique, okay? I'm not sure that the words style over substance actually get to the heart of what people really feel about the movie they just watched. I think it sidesteps what people should otherwise be talking about when they label a film as such. Like, what do you think, Dave Z? You know, it's going to be hard for me to say all my thoughts without offending anybody. Oh, okay. Ooh, we got a juicy segment here at the party, folks. (laughs) Well, the, the thing is this. I think a lot of times when people say that, they are using that as a critique. And I think that the the kind of people, and you know what, I, they shouldn't be offended because what I'm saying isn't something to offend them. So I hope they don't get offended because it, it all just becomes a matter of personal taste. And, sure. And again, this some people use this, this phrase as a negative, but um, this is the truth. There is no accounting for taste. There is. People like what they like. If you happen to love what the hell was that movie we were just talking about, the strip club massacre, you in you sit down, you watch it, and you love it. And I happen to love the witch, and you hate it. That's okay. There is no yeah. accounting for it. So be it. But but don't insult my film, and or, or because when you insult the film. You insult the people that love the film, and I'm not easily offended, and, I, and I'm not. I'm not trying to sound like I am, but sure. I, I think that people that that use that term, not always, not always. Some people just say, "Hey, um, Suspiria, 1977." Um, I really, I liked it, but it was more style over substance. Um, seven out of ten for me. They're not hating on it. They're not sure. Hating they're just on using it. a catchphrase that yes. kind of, yeah. That okay, yeah, I got you. But a lot just of a time, thing to say, yeah. But I think people use it as a negative connotation. Where, where? What about this, Dave Z? Suspiria, 1977, one out of ten hated it. Style over substance, all the way. Yeah, that's that's obvious. what you're talking about, right? Yeah, it's it, a lot of times the word style over substance gets used as a negative, even without giving a number rating, just by the way they say it. Ah, it's style over substance. It, it's a very dismissive type term, and. To, to, to set where I'm gonna where I'm gonna go in this conversation, I believe that style itself is a substance. 
I think we're headed in the same direction on this, and, and I'm very really happy about this because, folks, we we didn't give each other notes about, okay, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this, but we're, Dave Z, I, I, I feel like we're heading in the right direction. And so, really quickly, I think that we should put forth just a quick and dirty definition of style over, over substance, you know, particularly how and how it relates to film. So how about this? Style over substance is when it is when looks and aesthetics become more important than narrative and story. Does that sound about right? Is that what people typically mean in their heads when they say that catchphrase? Do you think that's about what the sentiment is? Absolutely. That's, okay. Yeah. So I, I, I want to ask you this, Dave Z, and, and if, if this, we can put this on pause if there's something you want to get to beforehand, but I just kind of, how do you feel about movies that people label as style over substance? You know, because we're not just talking about art house horror here. We're talking fun, campy, horror too, popcorn flicks, aren't we? It, it seems to cover, that descriptor seems to cover a lot of different types of films, not just pretentious films with flashy lights, but also Friday the 13th. People would say, people would, or, or, you know, people would say, oh, there's not much to those movies. It's just kills, you know, people, it's just killing and, 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 and nothing and no story. I, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's a bit of a reductive term, I think. I mean, I know I, and that's where this is all heading. I'm trying to, I'm trying to pace myself here. But how do you feel generally about films that people label style over substance? Because for me, uh, I can, it's just like anything for me where I'm just like someone, like, how do you feel about funny movies? I'll be like, oh, I like this one. I don't like that one. I like this one. Hey, how do you feel about uh, dark, oppressive movies? Oh, I like this one. I don't like that one. I like this one. I don't like that one. How do you feel about style over substance movies? Oh, I, I like this one. I don't like that one. You know, that that's kind of how I take it. And when, when I'm in, and I'm a story guy too, but, and so the, coming from me to say that, you know, it, it's just kind of a descriptor for me, an adjective really. Uh, listen, I'm a story guy too, but a lot of movies that are style over substance or, or that are said to be style over substance, when it comes to art house films and, and colorful films and things like that, the thing to me is I see a story that isn't typical, that you need to dig deep to figure out what's going on. And if you can dig into that movie, and we are going to do that with the next film, but if, oh, you, yeah. right, if you can dig into that movie and come up with hey, I saw this here, and I saw that there, and I think what I'm saying makes sense, and I'll tell you the reasons why, and I come up with what I thought the the people that made the film are trying to say, then in, in that case, it becomes more substance than style, or, or equal. I think style over substance is said when somebody doesn't understand the substance that is in the film. They don't have the patience for it, or they, oh, only, sure. they only pay attention to the style, and they dismiss the substance. That's what, not every time, but I do think there are instances where that happens. And, but I think that you and I have had different experiences where I have not heard somebody describe a fun movie as style over substance. I only hear it when it's talked about art house films or, you know, things that are just, just all about the technical aspects of it. That's, what about that's something like it. Transformers? I guess that's kind of where I'm going when you have those big, those visually stunning but story story devoid you know big action films where a bunch of stuff is like Michael Bay for instance has a reputation for oh everything's exploding and this is happening and this is happening wait what is this story actually about oh it's pretty generic but hey all these cool things are happening and so you can have a react a lot of people say style over substance with what is essentially a fun movie and so well but that's mm. the part the it, okay and, and I'm, I'm 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 sort of I'm getting a little ahead of myself because Fun is a positive, style over substance is not. 
uh, when it's used that way. And so I'm not gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna slow down a little, but. I guess we'll just say mindless popcorn flicks also tend to get that descriptor if they're flashy and and it has to be coupled with and you don't like it, with which is the same with these art house flicks. If they're not, you know, ministering unto you, if you're not understanding it, if they go a little over your head or you're just not down with the story, then it's easy to, you know, it's it, it's dis, it can be dismissive and you can just say that that catchphrase and just write wash your hands of it. So what about this, though? How do we feel about art that takes a substance over style? approach i mean look that has to be the answer right to, to to this catchphrase i mean if more style than substance is a bad thing then more substance over style is a good thing right but just like dave is already kind of alluding to it folks it's not that simple is it in college right i studied architecture a little bit both its history and how to photograph it now one man who often came to the forefront of a lot of those discussions was a gentleman by the name of louis sullivan sullivan is the man who coined the famous phrase form ever follows function the idea there is that the beauty or design of a thing should come from the pursuit of its functionality. So let's take this over to movies, okay? This line of thinking would state that the film's aesthetics, its looks, ought to be born from the narrative or the purpose of the film. So that's a functionless view that places function or substance and purpose above form. That means, you know, style and aesthetics, the lighting, all that, and how it looks. And that can work to a certain extent for sure, if, you know, if you have just this pure story right there. But it's not the only school of thought in the matter. And hell, let's just get practical here. And I'll borrow an example from an architecture article I read a few months ago. Think of a chair, okay? Its purpose, its function is to be sat down upon, okay? But then why don't all chairs look the same? It's because function is a complex thing. A chair in an outdoor public park is absolutely designed for sitting, you can sit down on that bad boy, but it also has to be constructed to weather the forces of nature, so it'll likely be a concrete monolith. What about office chairs, right? Those got wheels, not legs, homies, <laughs> you know? Some of these are hard, some soft, high back, low back, whatever, arms, no arms. What about living room chairs? Mine's comfy, it's leather, and it reclines. All that to say that function, purpose, substance isn't a one-size-fits-all thing. So by merely placing the emphasis on substance over style... Does that make a better film? Like, here's an example I think you might all appreciate. So I went on YouTube right before this, and I watched two videos on how to make a cup of coffee. Okay, pretty simple. The first one I watched was straightforward, to the point, one camera angle the entire time, no cuts, just a single, continuous shot of a gentleman instructing the viewer how to make a cup of coffee. Simple, easy to follow, no frills and gimmicks. It achieves its goal of teaching people how to make coffee. Substance over style all the way. But then, I found that Peter McKinnon, one of the more famous YouTubers who's known for his filmmaking talent as well as his love of coffee, also made a video on this same subject. It's hilarious. It's fun. Peter is charismatic and charming like always. If you've ever watched one of his videos, he, he gets you instantly. He's so likable. The camera angles, transitions, and movements are indicative of a man who knows what he's doing behind a camera. Lighting, color correction, spot on, and guess what? It's still a solid tutorial, and you walk away knowing how this dude makes his specific kind of coffee. Both videos are filmed with a type of style that does get the substance across to the viewer, but I'm reasonably sure that 99.9% .9 of viewers would prefer Peter McKinnon's video over the other one. So, folks, yes, you can say style over substance is a bad thing, but the answer is not substance over style either. That's not the answer. So what, what are you thinking, Dave Z? Is any of that making sense? Yes, and talking about those videos makes it clear. The thing is, substance over style 
it all comes back to your your personal taste as to what you prefer. Again, oh, I love that you're saying this. It's taste. It's like, do you? I'm guessing that the Peter McKinnon video was also longer than than, I think, the, than the cut to the chase one. Yeah, the cut to the chase one was about like two and a half minutes. This was like five and a half. Okay, so right off the bat. Because he, well, he did troll, he did troll everybody at first. He first starts out with this pretty simple video in his kitchen, just one, actually, oddly enough, one, sh- it was like the, the same shot. One, I almost wonder if he watched that same video, because it's like just one shot on a tripod on his counter, and yes, there are cuts, and there are funny things, he, he accidentally breaks a carafe, it's really funny, but then you, you watch this quick tutorial, and then about two minutes in, he goes, just kidding. That's not how the hell you make coffee. This is how you make coffee. And then he shows you the real way. And <laughs> so it, he was kind of trolling. So, but it was longer. But the thing is, you and I could appreciate that. You said something about 99% of the people you know would, you think would prefer that, that, that type of um, uh, production. Yeah, I, because I, both I convey. Oh, I you do? Because I think both convey their substance about the same that meaning that you can walk away from both uh both have the ingredients list both tell you everything you need to do the other one just does it better maybe more stylistic but it's, i'm not going to say it's over the top but oh yeah uh, say say yeah say your piece what i'm saying is that i think a lot of people if they want to watch an instructional video they're not concerned about being entertained they just want to cut to the chase like i said they just want to get to the the meat and potatoes uh, that it happened to me uh, I, one day I was having trouble adjusting the wheels on my lawnmower. I, I, okay. I, was, I didn't know how to lower the blades because there were, there were things in the front and there were things in the back levers for each wheel. I didn't know what the preference was and what, what the best thing to do to raise and lower the blades in my lawnmower. So I went over to YouTube and, you know, to, for an instructional video. Now at that time, I, I'm in the middle of cutting my lawn and someone tells me I should do something with the blades or whatever. I, I decide at that moment, I have to do this now. I want to do this and finish my cutting the grass. Okay, so when I go on there, I don't want to watch 10 minutes of friggin' BS and, 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 and routine. Granted, I love being entertained as much as the next guy. But at that particular moment, I just want to get down to the freaking facts. Boom, boom, boom. Here it is. One frame at a time. Video, video, boom, boom, boom. Go. For two and a half minutes, I don't want to. I don't want to watch five and a half minutes and be entertained. I do want to be entertained, but not at that particular moment in my life. If if I'm watching something instructional, I want. I just want to get to it. You know what I mean? And I think that there are, there are a lot more impatient people out there than patient. So it all depends on the the circumstance as to why they're watching that video. Yeah. So th- so that boils down to preference because here's the deal. Like, okay, I I got to slow it down just a little bit because I kind of want to play a game. But the day I, I'm hearing you and I, okay, and you, and we're, 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 we're playing into it. So I think that some people would say that the marriage of style and substance is what could make the best sort of film. I was hearing people talk about that on Facebook a long time ago. Oh, you need to have equal parts, both style and substance. You know, that right there is what will objectively make the best, you know, movie. That's what the best films possess. But I don't believe that. And I want to take some time to explore this idea. So Dave Z, party people, I'm arriving you know, sort of, sort of here and now I'm arriving at what I think might be my conclusive thoughts on this subject. So taking this to film, Dave Z, this is where I ultimately land on this subject. And I wonder how this might apply to each and every one of you listening now and you, Dave Z, because Dave Z's already hinted that it's about preference, that, that the, and if I'm reading you correctly, Dave Z, you so far in this discussion haven't placed any emphasis on 
style over substance bad, substance over style good, or bad either way, you're talking about personal preference and the situation. So let's do this together. Let's act this out for the party people, Dave Z. And if you're there, if you're here at the party, if you're listening, go along with us here. Let's see where it all takes us. Dave Z, name for me, all off the cuff, folks, name for me a film you love that is said to emphasize style over substance. For me, I'll go with Terrifier 2018. Just something that, that where that's the popular criticism. I have to say, I already brought it up, but Suspiria. Okay, great. I, I, I thought you might name that one. Now, Dave Z, name for me a film that you dislike, I guess, that is said to emphasize style over substance. For me, I'll go with Climax 2019. I will go with Mother from... Oh, good choice. Two years ago. Good choice. So, okay. Party people, I don't know which two films you're thinking of right now, but let's all of us work together to figure out the primary differences, the primary difference, rather, between both the films we've got on our hands here, the one we like and the one we don't. Now, I might be speaking in much too broad of strokes here, but if we're looking at two films here that both take the approach that aesthetics come before story, at least that's the criticism. We like one of them. We dislike the other. Well, the, the, man, the, Dave, you, you already said it, but the conclusion I come to is so simple and obvious that it hurts. Basically, it just comes down to which film entertains us and which doesn't, which film connects with us and which doesn't. Terrifier, 2018, that movie has nothing grandiose to say. In fact, I don't think it has anything small to say. It's nothing but Art the Clown's bloody All Hallows' Eve killing spree, and that entertains the hell out of me. Art as a character is fun, kills, nasty, and over the top. I don't watch this to learn anything or add value to my life. I just ask that since this film's style is indeed prioritized over its plot, make that style pop, homie. And Terrifier does that. It's style as substance. What about for you, Dave Z? I mean, you, you talked about, you know, you, you brought up Suspiria 1977. What would you say pulls you in with that movie despite the style over substance crit- uh, critique? Despite the so you want me to talk about something that is not when people well, reference the style you're you're saying that is their take on it you know that it's mm-hmm. style over substance but that's not your take on or you know but you enjoy this film and so what what connects you to that movie the key here's connection and because I know you love Argento you love Suspiria and we we talked about it on episode one you know just about the movie a little bit but I don't have you ever reviewed this properly um. I did a guest spot on um, Twenty Two Shots with for the Three Three Mothers trilogy. Oh, yep, that's right. I do remember that. That's, that's right. It, I do. Though. That's it. Yeah, though. I've never but, sat down and done a, an in depth, you know, like review or anything sure, like sure. that on, on one of my shows. But uh, okay. But despite this being style called style over, some people would say the haters would say this is style over substance. Would you say it's because they just didn't connect to the story or were entertained by it? Absolutely. That that they yeah. they don't. They, a lot of them don't even see a story. And that boggles my mind because I, I, I never had a problem picking up on the story. There's plenty of movies I watch, and I've said it here. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say it that I check out because I can't follow what's going on. You know what I mean? And I see a story there, and and I see an, an amazing use of color and lighting, and and the way the 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 score soundtrack hits. Uh, you know, and, and the kills are all great. I just it's enjoy an experience myself thoroughly. Is what it, it is. is. Yeah, it is an experience. It, it, yeah, it's hundred percent good call. It, it is an experience. That's a good way to describe it. So then, on the other hand, climax twenty nineteen. Okay, this is the quote style over substance unquote movie that I didn't like. Okay, that film, everybody, climax twenty nineteen could not possibly be more well filmed than it is. Gaspar Noé is. An an amazing he's a filmmaking master 
But when I approached this film, I found that I connected to absolutely nothing happening on screen. I didn't like a single one of the characters, nor was it fun for me to dislike any of them, kind of on the other hand. They were simply just there. And as far as how the film plays out, oh sure, I absolutely noticed every expertly done camera angle, all the sliding shots, the long takes. How can you not? It's awesome. It really is. You watch for that alone. That's an experience if you're trying to learn something. Okay, I got you. But that's not why I was there when Dave Z talked about, you know, the coffee video earlier. Hey, if you just want to get in and out, then okay, yeah, then, you know, maybe the Peter McKinnon video might be not be for you or you skip to the three, you know, the three minute point and then it's fast. But but yeah, so what little story there was in Climax, you know, didn't make me feel anything, nor was I invested and I was not entertained. And so while I walked away knowing I saw a well-made film full of style, I found that the lack of what I would have taken to be substance or my connection to the substance rather gave me the impression that I watched a movie devoid of any soul. And so in short, I wasn't entertained and I had no connection. What about for you, Dave Z? What about with uh, with Mother? Would, would, would you say there was a similar experience there where, you know, there's substance because to say there's not substance in Climax or, or more Mother, I, I, would, I, could, I could boldly say there's very little to Climax, but Mother, there's a lot to it. But was there, for me, there was a lack of connection to the substance that was in Climax. And when you couple that with not being entertained in the slightest, uh, I, I, I was just like, okay, I, I'm just watching a bunch of cool camera angles. I can go do that and be entertained. So what, what, what for just in this context of a style over substance conversation, what was it about mother that you didn't connect to? Would you, or, or would you say that you just, you would boil it down to that lack of connection and entertainment? Well, it's real easy. The first half, uh, it seemed like a regular film, not a regular yep. film, but I was able, I was able to understand what was going on. I had no problems there, and some things were unintentionally funny, and I, and I kind of liked that. Some, and then by the time it got to the third act, it got so off the wall, I couldn't follow the how and the why or, or anything. It went completely off the rails, and I just I was like, well, why did they go here? I was having so much fun with, with everything being yeah. set up like a, a regular story structure. And yeah, I do like crazy, trippy stuff, obviously, but... Where this went, there was just no explanation for me. I was just like, it lost me, and I checked out. It, it happened in that movie. It happened, it, and when it does happen, but I can recognize that it's still good filmmaking, I will not come down on the film that hard. Uh, I talked about this on Exploding Heads a couple episodes ago because I watched a movie, I forgot which one it was, but um, not Lisa and the Devil. Yeah, it might have been Lisa and the Devil. Either way. I was watching it, and the way things went, I recognized that it's good filmmaking, and I was enjoying it for, you know, a little while. But I will not come down on the film. There's that one, there's We Are the Flesh, and there's Mother. Uh, and I gave them the same rating because we rate every movie on that show. And I gave, I, I gave them a 5 out of 10 because I didn't hate them, and I would have felt like a jerk giving something like that a 1 or a 2 just because I couldn't follow it. That's that's insulting, I think, to people that like it. I can recognize good filmmaking. and I can, But when I don't know what's going on story-wise at all and why this went where it went, it's going to be a problem. You know what, Dave Z? I actually gave Climax 2019 a 5 out of 10 as well, which is huh. my most... It's like kind of my special rating that very few things get that rating. Black Christmas uh, 1974 got that rating before I bumped it up to uh, what when I was on NFW, I think I bumped it up to a, a 7.5 or an 8, mm -hmm. but I did with Climax. That's where it is. It's that neutral rating for me where I sit there and I go, okay, 
there's no and and I truly believe this about climax. It, it, it's there's nothing to it. Uh, you read the premise, that's the movie. That's it. The premise is the movie, but then the way it's filmed is so good and and Gaspar Noé is such a good filmmaker. I'm like, I can't I can't give this a a a below a five. I can't give this like once you start getting below a five, especially my horror corridor rating style, which I I'm thankful I don't do here, and I am not going to be doing on that show for the remainder of it. By the way, um, <laughs> the the uh, it's just too complex to just put plug all these things in. Oh, I just want to just do it based off how I feel. I could not rate that below a five because it's so well done. So yeah, I I did give it that five because five for me is not average. It's neutral, and so I had to kind of under like kind of come to that understanding of placing it in that sort of special place because it's so well done. But I just I'm not there. But so if I'm like oh three out of ten, it's like oh no I I can't put my name on that rating. So I, I'm feeling you with mother because then okay after this discussion I feel safe coming to the conclusion that no matter how a film is constructed, whether or not the filmmakers are designing their movie to be more stylistic than story based. I'm saying that it all it's all about what we connect to. It's all about what entertains us. And so in that way, I believe it would do us well to make some adjustments to the way we talk about film, because it seems to me that saying that a movie is simply style over substance is an incomplete criticism that fails to get to the heart of a person's real feelings about the art. Style over substance is simply the state of things. You know, but even then, it's not that simple. If you played along with us on our game here, you likely realize what Dave Z and I did, that the difference between a style over substance movie you enjoy versus the one you don't all boils down to that entertainment factor, that connection. You take out the term style over substance, and that's just how you could compare any two movies that, you know, one where you like and one where you don't. So for me, this instinct, this, this indicate for me, this indicates that a film being style over substance in itself isn't the problem. As much as it's just a mere adjective, like I said before, a descriptor, every bit the same as calling a movie funny, campy, dark, visceral. And hey, maybe you don't prefer campy movies. Maybe you don't prefer style over substance movies. Maybe you don't prefer dark movies. But that descriptor likely has less to do with its quality than it has to do with you and the film not connecting either in theme or in entertainment value. And if that's the case, if you do connect, if you don't connect, it's the nature of that connection or that lack of connection that is what you should analyze if you're offering up a meaningful critique of the movie, not the fact that the presence of style seems to trump the film's supposed substance. So, uh, Dave Z, what do you think of that? I think that's just it's it's almost too simple, but it's a, I really want to change it, it, change the language there. Just at least in our little circle of if you're saying I know when I know what people mean when they say style over substance, because I've said it, too. But it's like I said, it's it sidesteps what I'm really agitated about a movie. And it's never the fact that it's style over substance, it's the lack of connection, and then I break it down from there. And I would, yeah, so I, I don't know, what do you think about that? It, it's exactly taste. It's It depends on the taste for your preference on, uh, and if you're going to call something style over substance. Like earlier you said Transformers, Transformers movies. Yeah, a lot of people I, said that about that movie. I never thought about that, and I guess I, I didn't hear anyone say that, but now, okay, that does make sense to me, but the thing is, I guess that could be considered style over substance, and it probably would be for me because that's simply not my style of film. So I could say that, but the thing is, I don't think it's, I think every type of film has its own style. Whether you gravitate to that style is whether or not you're going to say style over. Everything is style. A lot of movies are style over. So all those action movies are style over substance. If you think about it, all those comic book movies are, are, are style over substance. A lot of slashers are. And if sure. you right, if you don't happen to like that, then that's what you're going to say. So if Transformers, I would probably say I never thought about saying that 
Because that's not yeah, my yeah. type of movie, a.k.a. style. I, that's not my style. So it, I would say that Transformers are style over substance. That doesn't happen to appeal to me. And you know what? There probably isn't a whole a lot of storytelling in there. Just like and a lot of those movies are, are to me, happen to be, be very predictable. But sure. You know, I just think, but I'll say this, even though what I said earlier about the video, that was just because of that one particular instance where if I want, if I'm watching something instructional, I just want the instructions because I want to get the job done. Otherwise I'm not watching it. So just because that was that particular example, ordinarily, I I would rather be entertained for a few more minutes if I'm going to sit down and watch it. Uh, Yeah, I'm not going to watch a guy just make coffee with his freaking cell phone camera. I'm, I'm yeah. going to watch something entertaining and and like it more. That's a fact, but depends on the situation I'm in. But I will take style over substance any day over substance over style. Because if you just have substance over style, yes, it's filmmaking, but I mean, you're talking about that movie earlier, um, Art the Claw, okay, Terrifier. Now, there is a lot more to that than you're giving it credit for, even though you do love it. Oh, yeah. You, you could watch plenty of... Of slasher movies, or not even slasher movies, just movies where you see people getting killed in gory ways, like those, um, what are those called? Those toe tag movies and things like that. To mm. me, that, but this isn't that. There are things in Terrifier that still make the movie appealing to you. You are still in on the story of the girl oh, yeah. at the beginning and what happens and the look of Art the Clown and the way he behaves and when you see the kills, the way they're done. It's a little more than just basic style. You have to, yes, you, you enjoy the style, but you have to have substance to go hand in hand with that style. Substance that you enjoy and style that you enjoy married. That's what you need. There are plenty of movies you can watch that are just going to be substance over style, and you may not like it at all. That's that's why you'd prefer Terrifier over a toe tag film, or whatever those movies are called, when yeah, it's yeah. almost like a snuff film with good gory kills. Even if even if you put the guy in a clown outfit and you just saw kill after kill with you know no story except him following people into a house one after the other and then killing them. That's probably still not going to do it for you. So Terrifier does still have something else in its storytelling that is the characters. I think you know that that, that that's where that connection can come from. Because even Damien Leone himself was just like we, you know, there, there's not much to this movie. I mean, he's even like, hey, we were just concerned with you know kind of making these kills good and making these characters good. And and I think that's where I think that's what you're hitting on because I don't think those. A lot of those, you know, what 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 are, the, what are those toe tag movies you're referencing? Are you talking about like, you know, I mean, because there are a lot of those things like the, you know, sort of like the August Underground movies or like the. Uh, Thank you. What, Thank you. Oh, August yeah. Underground. That's what yeah. I meant to say. Yes, yeah. There you go. And so, you know, where, where they're not really emphasizing characters and even as simple as this plot is, you do become adhered to these characters. So, yeah, there is a substance there. I'm not saying it's devoid of substance. It was just my example. But like right. the the idea is that, you know, you do like these characters. And then there's a thing to be said about substance as or a style as substance where the thing you're seeing the camera angles the you know you kind of alluded to this earlier in our discussion where the style itself is part of the substance and and about the movie we're reviewing tonight or today or this morning or just at the party here whatever the whatever the hours are the that movie and its aesthetics i think play into the central theme of the film and i think it does so very deliberately that it almost hurts and so that is an example of style as substance which which is is 
man, I, I feel like there probably are academic papers on this. I really do. I tried I to look for it. some, but I, I, I found I found academic articles and I did find some articles. So I will post those in the show notes of the uh, of the of the episode here, folks. But Dave Z, I'm liking what you're saying. You know, we're, we're, see, I guess my my whole thing with this when I thought of this, watch the Neon Demon you know, heard all the criticisms leveled at it's style over substance. I thought of movies I like that are considered to be that way. I thought of movies I don't like that are considered to be that way. And I was like, what's the difference? And I just realized like, it's the same thing for any movie that I like or don't it. The style over substance just doesn't get to the heart of the matter. And it's almost like, okay, it's a catchphrase that presents a little sentiment of, 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 of something, but I don't, I really don't think that as a criticism, especially if you're like, say a podcast or somebody who you want to be taken seriously. I don't know. I think it would do us well to take that as maybe a starting point, but then look at the connection, look at the entertainment and how you connected to that and why you didn't. And I think that's where you'll find the, that's where you'll find your, your real complaint. I feel like style over substance hides that real complaint. See, you have to have it all like mother, for example, even if mother would have used amazing colors like Suspiria and had a real kick-ass uh, score and everything about it was amazing, it still would I, I still could not rate that movie over a seven or an eight because I don't I cannot tell you what's happening in the story. Even finding out later with Mother One Seven, people told me, well that it's it's stories of the Bible, it's this, that, the other thing. I'm like, okay, but why and what that doesn't help for me. It, it was a comparison I made on uh, one of my shows where I said, I go why does that make something amazing? I could film a movie and have every and take the Beatles White Album and take every song off the Beatles White Album and apply that to a scene in that movie. Does that sure. make my movie amazing? Because I took a picture of a raccoon, so later on someone could say, "Oh, that was Rocky Raccoon." Or I I, I took a picture of a I don't know um, and say, "Oh, that, that was Mother Nature's son." And take every song on the freaking Beatles just because that is representing that. That doesn't make me an amazing director because I did that. But again, I'm going off on a tangent. I, I'm just saying. I have to be into the story for me to rate it high. I'm into the story in Suspiria. I, yeah. You know what I mean? So with Mother, no matter how good it would be with the aesthetics, it could be, it could hit on every freaking level visually and, you know, uh, what's the word for um, audioly? You know, <laughs> you know on, on, a visual, <laughs> on a visual and an audio level, it could hit freaking every note. But if I can't get enough out of that story... I can't say this is a 10 out of 10 movie. I just cannot do it. It's, I, I need all of it. And the bottom line is a lot of people use that as their battle cry when that is not their style. So when someone says style over substance, it's because they don't like that style. That's that's the yep. bottom line. Like the Neon Demon, I watched it with my daughter today. There, at her age of 13, I am not going to tell her. I do try to educate her on film a little bit, but I don't think she's ready to understand certain aesthetics in film. I'm not going to pull her over in the middle of the movie and say, you see that that shot? You see their use of color here? I don't discuss that stuff with her because it's not going to resonate. That stuff didn't resonate for me for years. And I know other sure. people our age, grown adults, they watch our, our artsy films. It does nothing for them. And that's fine. That's just yeah. their personal taste. Yeah, that's but, totally fine. If you don't, if that doesn't you know, connect to you, or if it doesn't serve to entertain you, hey, you're, you're not gonna, you're not gonna like it. I mean, it's, but, it's, yeah, yeah, it's that simple, like you said before. But the issue is, don't knock other people that do. You know, I. It's so easy for me to say, well, you lack intelligence because you can't appreciate 
good filmmaking. That's what a pretentious douchebag would say. And I'm not saying sure. that. But no, if you're I not. want, you know what I mean? But it, it goes on both sides of the fence. Don't say, oh, well, The Witch was so slow. It was boring. How can anyone like that? I mean, it's the same thing. I'm loving The Witch saying how much I do love it. And it's like, you know, don't make me sound like a freaking idiot because I, I pick up on some things in films that, that you don't or that bore you. It's just, it's sure, personal sure. taste. Same reason I'm not watching, and I might like it if I watched it, but I don't watch kaiju films or stuff like that. I don't knock my friends that happen to love it. That's their style. You know what I mean? It just doesn't happen to be mine. I'm not knocking them for it, though. That's, that's the difference. People come off, when I see style over substance about something I love, I take that as, I don't want to say an insult because I'm not, I don't get insulted, but I feel like they are trying to throw a rock at me. You know what I mean? And say, oh, wow. Okay. You know, okay. that's what I take when I see people say something, not all the time, like the example I said earlier, like, you know, seven out of 10, Suspiria, style over substance, that's it. But some people take it to a different level. And that's where I think the problem is when when the term is used in that vernacular. And, and I agree with you, too, because the, the, the whole idea of using that catchphrase to throw a rock at somebody who likes something, first off, don't be that asshole, folks. Like, don't, you know, like, that it's the it's the social media thing this sort of anonymity relative anonymity we have sitting behind a computer screen and you know things we would say tones we take that we wouldn't do you know that we wouldn't say if the person were sitting there right in front of us you know but but like i said before it's you know if you're going to throw that rock and that if that rock is style over substance and oh dave z i can't believe you like suspiria it's style over substance 2 out of 10 you know okay if you're going to throw that rock then then actually get to the heart of uh, get throw a real criticism, throw a real rock at least, throw a real criticism. And I, I will say that that's why I want to change the language of that, at least in our circles of uh, you know of listeners, and just say, okay, you're right. Stella over substance does not get to the heart of the matter about what the problem really is with the film, if that indeed is your complaint. There's something behind it that's the real problem. And I think you, we, you'd find that if you, you know, take a minute, use your you, use your words like like we tell kids, use your words and, <laughs> you know, and, and, then, and then really, I'm sorry, and, re, and really get there and, and to really see what's what's there. And I think once we figure out because that's always the thing that intrigues me, why podcasting intrigues me, why, why I like to use my words to flesh out what I like or don't like about a movie, because I want to describe to, you know, we're all walking around billions of us lonely in this world and uh, you, we can never know what another person's thinking or feeling, all we have are, are our words to bridge that gap. And so I want to use my words the best I can when I say, hey, Hereditary, it's a 10 out of 10 for me because I had this connection to it. And and I and I explained myself. I Episode 13 of Horror Corridor, folks, if you want to hear a pretty good review of, of Hereditary, a, a, an in-depth walkthrough where I explain to you my connection to that film and break it down, you know, th- that's that's my piece on it. Then I've had people come after me for that and just be like, you know, six out of 10 and they don't explain themselves any better, you know, or to even that level as if you could explain yourself on that level. Come on. This is, this is Horcordo we're talking about here, <laughs> but no. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, the deal is that, okay, sure. Throw this six out of 10 and you know, we'll, we'll make the jokes, but you know, explain your lack of connection then. And no, I just didn't like it. Well, okay. Well then I'm going to take that about as I'm going to give that little criticism of yours a two out of 10. So, uh, shoot. <laughs> I, I don't know, Dave Z. I think I've said everything I want to say on this subject. And I, and I like that we were on, on nice, uh, on the same track here, folks, look at the show notes f- for links to a few articles. I've got that discuss this subject in great detail. Dave, you have you anything left to say before we head into the, head into the, the showtime? I do want to make a statement that we opened with oh, do about- it. Style itself being substance. 
that's what I don't think people think about when they say that. The work that goes into certain films, and I'm not talking about necessarily Transformers and CGI and things like that. That's personal preference. I'm talking about certain artsy movies. And like again, I'll bring up Suspiria. The work that, that the time that goes in to doing all that, that if you want to make the style, the actual substance of your film, and then just have a regular easy story that goes through and, and, and focus more on it. To me, that becomes, that becomes the substance. The style of that film becomes the substance because, because that is what you recognize when you think about that film. When you think about a movie like that, the first thing you think about is the style of it. So therefore, the style itself has become the substance. It, oh, I you know? totally agree, Dave Z. It's like, think of prose when you're reading a book. You know, you could have a sentence. There, there is a certain school of thought that would say, get to the period as quickly as possible. Don't, don't you know, be Baroque in your descriptions and these things. But what are... What are adjectives? What are, you know, what what are these these words synonyms? Why do we use those? Why do why not just say this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened? Because the that lighting in, in Suspiria, that lighting that becomes part of the tale, you know, uh, take out that lighting. You could still tell that same tale of that academy. OK, and it might be fine, but you add that in there and that stylization, that mood that atmosphere becomes part of the substance. I mean, if you think about how to light a scene, how to write a great paragraph that's, you know, I don't want to use flowery in a bad sense, but super descriptive and interesting and beautiful, it's not getting to the quick the, the period as quickly as possible. It's not lighting the scene as bare bones as possible. It's it's creating that mood and that atmosphere to 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 enrich, to enliven the substance that's there. And and furthermore, and I don't know how definitive I want to say, but I, I mean I want to say this, I, this could be wrong and I have to really think on this, but I'm just going to go ahead and just kind of go in and say that style and substance, they might not be, I, I, it's not, it's not just mutually exclusive. It's not one and the, and the other they're, 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 they're holding hands a lot of the times, maybe not every time. And I'm willing to make that admission, but I do think there is an intermingling. A, a sort of like a Venn diagram where you have the circles and you have the, you know, you have one circle that says style, you have one circle that says substance, and there's that part in between that binds them. Sometimes, okay, the two can maybe be divorced from one another and you might not have, you might have a really atonal film that doesn't work. Okay, fine. But when they're mixed the right way, and I'm not saying that there needs to be equal parts one or the other, but I'm just saying that when they're mixed, like Suspiria, yeah, that's the perfect example. That atmosphere, that mood becomes the substance, becomes the meat of the, uh, or not the meat, but becomes the, 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 I don't even want to say icing on the cake. It becomes yet another ingredient to push that substance forward. And I'm all about that style is substance. I think that's something, gosh, that, that could almost be its own thing. When you think of the mechanics of filmmaking as it plays into the story, it's, 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 I, I, I like it, Dave. I'm glad you said that. And you know what? If you subtract the style from so many of these films, the movies, some of them become unwatchable. Like you, oh, could, sure. you could make a movie that's really colorful and really aesthetically pleasing in every way and a very, very basic, maybe not even a good storyline and still be entertained by that if that's your jam. However, take a look, look at a movie like, I know a lot of people didn't like this, but I, I happened to, it made my top 10 that year. I am the pretty thing that lives in the house. It was the, uh -huh. the from from Oz Perkins. It was his follow up, although some people thought it was his original. Either way, take that movie and remove all the style 
And then you just have a story about a girl going into this house and a couple characters come in and there's some type of haunting <laughs> and some type of mystery. Take the, if you take the style out of that movie and you just go by the substance, all of a sudden, it's just kind of eh. But that movie is made because of the style. That's that's what I'm saying. That's what that's what gravitated yeah. me towards it. Why would you want to remove it? The style is what makes it. It's like um, taking a steak and, and marinating it or not. How's that? Because I, I cook oh, a lot yeah. of steaks, you know, and, and Ooh, I'm big on. Over. Yeah, I do, we do it. We do it. We steak with chicken. We marinate. We season. Granted, I do like a lot of food plain, and I can eat it both ways. But if I'm going to make sure. a steak and, and if I want to marinate it overnight and then throw it on the grill at room temperature, I'll tell you what. It's it's gonna be great, or I could just take a, or I can just go down the street, go to Walmart, get a steak right out of their fridge, throw it on, cook it, and it still might be a good steak. But it's the marriage, man. It, it, when you have it all in there, it is. I'll tell you what, it, it ends up being, it elevates everything, and this, the same goes for film. So, again, Ooh, well, I like it. I like it, Dave. But, but we could go on and on, and, and, but we can't. So. Well, uh, yeah, well, well I, I have a feeling we'll carry over to, to showtime. So, shoot. All right, folks, that concludes our horror deep dive segment, which brings act two of this horror show to a close. Dave Z, uh, what, what, pardon, pardon me, sir, uh, but but do you have the time? Do I have the time? Do you have the time? What time is it? Oh, it's showtime. It is now time for the Watsy Party Horror Show Showtime segment to commence. My friends, we're here in the third act of the horror show, and it's showtime. This is the film review portion of the episode, and here's how we conduct these reviews, homies. We'll begin with a synopsis of the film, give you some quick film setup, and then we'll give you all our likes, our dislikes, and finally we'll conclude with our final thoughts and ratings of the film. We keep it absolutely spoiler-free in this section of the show, my friends. You know it's how we do, but if it's spoilers you're looking for, wait till the very end of the show for the after-party segment of the podcast where we open the discussion up in full. As for now, though, we're going to give you that synopsis and get this part of the party started. So I'll read this here for you now. Aspiring model Jessie is new to Los Angeles. However, her beauty and youth, which generate intense fascination and jealousy within the fashion industry, may prove themselves sinister. All right. So regarding film setup then, Dave Z, I mean, shoot, it's simple, really. We got Jessie, played by Elle Fanning. She's a 16-year-old girl who appears in Los Angeles with the sole intention of making it as a high fashion model. The story essentially follows Jessie on her journey deeper and deeper into the beauty scene where she encounters characters of varying kinds, many of whom with their own ulterior motives. One thing is for sure though, Jessie has what everyone is looking for and that will either serve her success in the industry or her downfall. So yeah, what what say you Dave Z? Decent enough film setup, sir? (laughs) Wow, very good. That's that's a great setup. All right, well then folks, we're gonna get into our likes right now. So. Dave Z, start us off. What is your first like of the Neon Demon? Okay, I'm going to go with the uh, the low-hanging fruit, the obvious stuff that I that I always kind of talk about. And um, this has to do with the, the visual. The, oh, yeah. The, Tell the, it. The, the sights, 
the colors, the use of colors, the cinematography, the way everything looks, uh, not in every single scene, because uh, you know that it isn't used in every single scene, but the, the attention to detail that, that must have been spent on framing the shots and just the colors especially, the way, the way they're used with the lighting, just magnificent. Yeah, does it does it strike you odd that Refn himself is colorblind? Yeah, isn't that something? I read that like before we came on. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that Whoa. weird? Yeah, he says that he yeah, he could just kinda tell he can differentiate between, you know, contrast and like primary colors, but that's it. <laughs> so uh, the, yeah, and so for a, such a colorful film that that's just that's crazy. Well, that is my that's my first like as well, dedicated to the film's aesthetics. So I told Dave Z this, folks, uh, during party planning, but my Samsung plasma screen TV that I've had since Christmas of 2013 went out a few days ago, and so my son and I picked up a new 4K TV. And Dave Z, like I said, folks, I was blown away by these visuals. There were so many scenes where I found myself just appreciating what the colors were doing on screen. There would be a face in a scene, and I would pick out blue key lighting, pink fill lighting, orange hair lighting, just washing over these girls, all this in different variations, and as someone who is learning the ins and outs of elementary lighting for film these days, I couldn't help but marvel at how well the crew on this film worked to give us something this beautiful. Two scenes involving fashion shows come to mind, you know, the blinking lights, there's one at the beginning, one in the third act. This whole multicolored neon ambiance, I loved it. But if we're talking about the outer beauty of this film, it goes beyond lighting. I'm talking about costume design, casting, the smooth camera work and cinematography, and that amazing score by Cliff Martinez. It's all a package that, much like Jesse in the film, knows it's beautiful and revels in that fact. So, yeah, I'm right there with you, Dave Z. Well, what's your next like, sir? Nice. Well, you met, you did mention the, the Cliff Martinez score. Yes, uh, talk about it. Oh, man, oh, man. I, I listened to this... <laughs> A, a lot. I, li- I put on the headphones, uh, the earbuds at bedtime, and, and I listen to it straight through a lot. Some, I, a lot of the times I fall asleep, but that's that's what I do with these soundtracks at, at the end of the day. But man, so good. E- even the other songs that are used, um, there, there's three songs that are not from Cliff Martinez that are just part of the score. A song called Mine from Sweet Tempest and The Demon Dance, which is a, an amazing freaking techno type song. Which, by the way, the guy that did it, his name is Julian Winding, and his he, oh. his his mother is is actually uh, Brigitte Nielsen. What? Yes, the winding has nothing to do with uh, the director. Oh, okay, okay. I know. <laughs> I thought it did at first. That's why. I, that's why I googled it, and that's when I come to find out that that he, you know, his mother is is, is Gite. Yeah, and, uh, and oh, the, okay. Yeah, the very last song with the um, when the credits roll, waving goodbye. Uh, I Taya. see ya. Yeah, Saya, Sia, whatever. Yes. Very good. But Cliff Martinez, I'll tell you what, I I, I saw another movie of, of, of Reference, and it was, um, what the heck was it? What was his movie? What was Crash? No, not Crash. Drive. Drive, thank you. Drive. And, and I'm like 10 minutes into the movie, and I'm like, oh, that, that, that's Cliff Martinez. I, I can tell yep. right away. Sure enough, uh, apparently that's who he normally works with. But Yep, it sure is. Uh, I just, I really love uh, the opening frame of this film when the music kicks in. Don't, 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 don't. Yep. And, and oh, everything about that opening scene with her on the couch and the music, the music itself is such an important part of the film. This in a way, and I said this before the remake came out last year, but I said this when this initially dropped and I saw it the first time. 
this to me it was like a spiritual remake of Suspiria because oh, wow. of, because of the, the, the way it looks the way it sounds and because of the content and we'll get to that later but I, I have my theories on that but oh wow I can't wait okay folks yeah I can't wait to hear that shoot you know the, yeah the, this Cliff Martinez score I believe when I was it would have been 2016 when I was still new to the network because uh, I started my show at the like I think the beginning of September or right like the last day of August when I think it got pu- episode one of Horror Corridor got published and I was part of the Horphilia family uh, Jason Lloyd sent me the Cliff Martinez he sent me the soundtrack uh, sent me like a yeah and I, I remember listening to it before I saw the movie and I was just like dude this, this, this is great <laughs> man isn't it Oof. yep he does good work Mr. Martinez and uh, it's it's a very important part of this film like, like I said is. earlier you know if you take these things out of the film I don't think I'd want to say, and I, I can't say that, but if you just tell me what the story is or what my interpretation of the story is and just, you know, play it as a straightforward film and you and you have it devoid of the aesthetics of the color, lighting, shots, and the score and the soundtrack, well, then I just don't like the movie as much. That That's that's why it's a big like for me. So Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. Hell yeah. So, okay, well, my next like has to do with how gender plays out in this story and, and, and okay so listen to this this is so this is Ruffin's first movie using an actress in the central role and oddly enough because of this film's emphasis on independent women and predatory men I've read reviews where people have written that Ruffin's just using this film to mansplain the fashion industry to us and that his use of certain male characters as gatekeepers shows us that the power is all in the hands of the men who use these women like puppets the same way Ruffin's using his actresses. L- let me tell you. Okay, I told this to, D- to Dave Z at the, before we were recording during party planning. I've gone on a journey with this movie, which I will describe to you all later on in detail. And when I was at my absolute lowest on this film, I began looking at reviews that reinforced my negative criticisms of this movie. And even then, when I would have said I was more I, that I more or less strongly disliked this movie, I read that particular critique, that review, and, and a couple like it, and was just like, that's complete trash. Allow me, if you will, to read an excerpt from an interview that Refn did with Independent out of the UK. So the interviewer states to Refn, It's interesting that you say beauty gives women power over men, because in the film, it seems the men have power over women. For instance, in a key scene, a photographer dismisses the other models when he doesn't like their look. Or, how about Keanu Reeves' character? Is that a reversal you wanted to make? And Refn answers, It's an interesting question because the the photographer is only a gateway. He's not the consumer. The men in the film have no other function other than being servants of the story. This film isn't about men and women but purely about women, where the men have no real function. I don't think the photographer has any power over women, he's just a facilitator of a stereotype that the feeding machine wants to eat. But who essentially is eating? Certainly not the men. It's the women. And folks who've seen this film will likely get a kick out of that statement right there, I think. But anyway, the interviewer responds by saying, yeah, but the men are gate gate masters to facilitating those women going out there. And Refn says, yeah, but they're not in control of it. That's the difference. It's supply and demand. There's no difference between how a male photographer or a female photographer would tell models to go away or stay. And so what I take from this is that there really are no male-female, no strong and lasting male-female dynamics at work in this film. It's all about the women and how they empower themselves or work to destroy themselves in order to deal with this high-pressure industry. I like that. I like the idea that these women don't need men to help them succeed or 
to bring them down. They can do those things on their own merit, and that's a strong statement, and I dig it. Even if you didn't tell me that, that he said that, that would have been what I, I would have taken from the film anyway. So the, the, fact, oh, yep. the fact that that person had an agenda and said that, and somehow, even though it's a little throwaway scene, didn't mention that the, the woman from the modeling agency, played by Christina Hendricks, she was making decisions on her own. She walked right outside to get the permission slips for the for Jesse, and she saw the three yep. models sitting there, and she looked at the one. You, go. Yep, that was you it. Go. How come she left that part out, or whoever, Ex- or he? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's just it's just cherry picking, man. And yes. you know, and, and 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 furthermore, to kind of reinforce that, I mean, Refn was very careful to include women in key places. There were two other women helped him write the script. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got. You know, uh, Abby Lee, one of the models in this movie, gave him a lot of suggestions about, okay, this is what should be on the tables. Like, I, because she's a model, so she would know, okay, she taught Elle Fanning how to do the, the catwalk. The, you know, she's she's telling Refn, okay, this is what you, you'd normally see on the table of these these people who make decisions. I mean, like, just the little items. This is how it'll usually go. He's taking input from the women all around, not to, to mansplain. I hate that f***ing word. But to another hard edit, the, to mansplain the industry to everybody. He... I'm going to say more on that later on how his feelings on this industry and that's key. But yeah, so this is a story that he he has his main cinematographer is a woman who's helping him, you know, get this beauty of the film out there. Yes, yeah, so it's not like it's just this guy going I want to tell women what to do and it's he's he's letting them be as independent as they want to be in this movie and that's up to them and I, I like that. I think a female director would, you know, I mean, who knows how it would have played out with a lady director, but just anybody interested in story is going to say, hey, let's make these characters make their own decisions. Yes, there are gatekeepers along the way. One of them was a woman, one's a man. He said it was just the, the fact that these were men were incidental. And I like that because they were. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's my second like. That's the gender politics of this is just about the women, the dynamics between that in group. And I like that. Absolutely. And, and let me add to that. He didn't do anything different than, than John Carpenter did with with Deborah Hill when they, when they were writing Halloween, when yep. he had Deborah Hill, you know, write the conversations for the females, much like uh, Ellie Fanning did uh, when when he when she helped him with the dialogue with the yep, females. Exactly. She improvised her thing. So same thing. And of course, what you said about uh, Abby is that her name? Yeah, Abby Lee. Okay, Abby Lee with with the modeling because she is a model, so she knows the ins and outs. So. Granted, everybody are, knows those things, and there are obvious statements about the industry, much like the, the, the whole entertainment industry out there in Hollywood. It's, you know, and it, it said what it said in a way which isn't overly obvious. They don't have to come right out and say it like they did, and don't get me wrong, because I like this movie. Actually, I love this movie. In Starry Eyes, they were much more upfront in the statement they were trying to make, where in sure, this sure. movie... You, it's picked up through dialogue, but it's handled a different way. And I'm not saying I prefer one way or the other. I'm just, you know, just, just saying that. Um, oh, yeah, I got you. Yeah, well, what's your next uh, like, Dave Z? Believe it or not, the performances. Just because I don't think that there are any weak performances here, and not everybody here is a seasoned actor. It's just, it's like you said, the one girl is primarily a model. Yeah. I watched this movie and the conversations that are had between these characters, it's all very believable to me. And a movie like this where some people, going back to what we said in Act 2, could say style over substance, they can't, I don't think that they can really pick this movie apart in that manner where it's saying, well, that the people in this movie can't act. Because to me, 
these all seem, while a little stereotypical, extremely believable characters. Like, yeah. And that's that's what your movie is supposed to do. You're supposed to, you know, you're playing off make-believe is real. And this, it works to me. Um, again, some are a little over the top and a little stereotypical. And again, that's that's done, that's done with intent. And I, I enjoy it for it. But, the, but again, the performances to me are all solid. So in a movie like this, that's saying something. Oh, I completely agree. I, I, I was down with all the performances here. <laughs> Dave Z, I need to pause right here. And talk a little bit, talk a little bit about where I'm coming from with this movie. So I stated before that I went on a journey with this film, much like you did with The Void 2017, which we talked about in episode two. And up until last night, it would have been here where I would have ended my likes and gone deep into the myriad dislikes I once had with this movie. Wow. Here's the honest to God truth, Dave Z. When this film got selected during the coin toss at the end of the last episode, I was pretty disappointed. Not that I'd have to watch this movie again, but that I would be spending the episode breaking this movie apart and raining on everyone's parade. I hate doing that, but for the sake of this podcast, I decided that I was just going to go to war on this film. I knew you exploding heads guys adore this film. I know Justin from the 22 Shots podcast likes to think he's smart by liking art house films, so he's on board with this one. <laughs> so so many friends and listeners, I love teasing him, he's, he's the homie. So, so many friends and listeners who just love this movie, and here I was just going to come out guns blazing to expose this movie's inconsistencies and its thematic contradictions i found review after review that helped me in my quest to show you all that you're being fooled by the bright pretty lights and that this movie has nothing to say of any real substance except that hollywood will chew you up and spit you right out dave z i had pages and pages of notes a a a veritable dissertation dedicated to blowing the roof off of this film's ego but then last night Something happened that I didn't expect. Hmm. After I spent yesterday writing up my analysis of this film's overall ineptitude, I read an interview with Refn. Now, usually I start there. This time I was ending there. I read an interview with Refn that stopped me in my tracks. Then I read another. And then, folks, I read another. I read six interviews, maybe seven, with him, three of which all include in the show notes of this episode. And after reading what he had to say about his own film, about his own creative process, about what the central theme of this film actually is, I was forced to delete 12 pages of notes right there on the spot. What? Yep. Wow. There are things I still dislike about the film, little, just a little minor quibbles, which we'll get to in that portion of the episode here soon, but I've had to change my stance on some things, so I hope that any discussion we have related to my change of heart to the context that Refn provided will help people to see this film in a new light like I did. Maybe you disliked the film for the, you know, folks, maybe you disliked it for the same reasons I did. Maybe you liked the film for the reasons I disliked it. All in all, hopefully we get some clarity here. So having said all that, Dave Z, the next like I'd like to put forth is a big one. So bear with me here. It has to do with what this film has to say for itself, its central theme, but this is buried inside an even bigger like. It's kind of one like buried in a bigger one I have that involves Refn himself and how he approached making this movie. So most of all, I guess, it's a like that celebrates my journey from disliking this film to ultimately coming to love it. So let's unpack this, okay? First off, I think the majority of viewers, lovers and haters alike, both, think the Neon Demon here, think of it as a cautionary tale on the dangers of Hollywood the fashion industry and narcissism. Pride cometh before the fall, so to speak, but 
If that's the case, as I had previously thought, then much of the things we see on screen don't make any sense if you look closely at them. Is this film warning us against the perils of egotism or outright condoning self-absorption? Is this a cautionary? If, if this is a cautionary tale, why is there so much of that latter? Well, how about this? Is this film equating true beauty and innocence? Or are we dealing with an inconsistent main character? Because the film is not painting that picture very well at all, which means that our protagonist is poorly written. What about this? Are we to believe that narcissism and true beauty are one and the same? That inner beauty doesn't matter here? That it's what's on the outside that counts? Because for certain characters, maybe there is nothing inside worth considering. And if that's the deal, then maybe there isn't a notable difference between our protagonist and our antagonist, but how can this be if the underlying message of this film is supposed to be a warning against the very thing it praises? You can't have it both ways. Dave, these were all the things that are going through my head. And on that very first view back in 2016, and even my second viewing of this right after we recorded episode two, I disliked the movie for trying to force feed me a morality tale that contradicts itself at every turn. And furthermore, given all these mistakes, the supposed mistakes, how could Refn have the nerve to make such a self-indulgent film? How could you so boldly put your initials right there in the opening title sequence and then the closing sequence as though to say, you're the shit, that this movie's the shit, all that when this movie seems to have no idea if it's a poor excuse for a cautionary tale, an unintentional comedy, or a fake horror film? But then, and this is where I'm leading to folks, I'm sorry this is so big, but I, I gotta get here so you all know where I'm, my journey. Then in the interviews I read about this film, Refn literally, literally addressed all of my criticisms. I, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and in this context, this new understanding of the story, this new understanding single-handedly changed my opinion of the film. I think many of the people who have interviewed him reacted the way I did to the film, that the pretty lights and supposedly weak morality tale didn't speak to them. But here comes Refn. He comes in saying, You guys, this is not a scathing critique on the fashion industry. In fact, I love the fashion industry. This is indeed a celebration of self-love and narcissism. This is not a cautionary tale, and maybe some characters aren't exactly who you think they are when you examine them a little more closely. Also, this film is meant to be hilarious in many ways. And he says, I laugh my ass off when I read this movie, or when I, when I watch this movie. So he's just like, deal with it. So I can't say, I know that was big, all leading to that. And I can't say any more than this till the after party, but Refn goes on to say that he made the exact movie he set out to make. And so I said that, you know, kind of what I said, there, there's a bigger like that, that, that kind of encompasses this. And it's regarding self-indulgence. And here's what he had to say about it. He says, I think you have to be so indulgent in creativity in that if you're happy, it's successful. If it's then financially successful, which is different parameters, then you're also happy. It has to start with you being satisfied. If you're satisfied, then hopefully other people will feel the same way. You can only make films or any other type of creative experience from the audience of one. Just remember there are people like you and there are people not like you. That's what's so beautiful about creativity and you could talk about it until the end of the world. I think it's important to ask, are you happy? Folks, Dave Z, that spoke, that really spoke to the creative soul in me because creativity can be such a lonely thing. And it really does take a celebration of your own satisfaction to make something you're truly proud of. People aren't always going to encourage you or give a damn. I've experienced that a lot in my life. No, sometimes just people don't give a shit. It's ultimately up to you as an artist to make what you want and love what you make. And I think Refn has a point. So I realized that's a lot to take in. But in summary, I had 12 pages of dislikes that Refn was able to put to rest because he said 
this is what the film is. And so, like, listen, I'm, I'm, I've got an open mind, folks. I'm steadfast, yet I'm teachable. So, I mean, does any of that surprise you, Dave Z? Did you know about reference take on the film that I've just described and, you know, that we'll talk about maybe a little more in the after party that, no, this isn't a cautionary tale. This is about narcissism and that it's good. In a way, it flips everything on its head because when I was thinking of it as a cautionary tale, I'm noticing all these things. When I'm thinking of Jesse as a certain type of protagonist, it's... It, it, I found inconsistencies, but when he just laid it out there, I, re I realized, shoot, these aren't inconsistencies at all, all. At all, this is what the film is. Shoot, and so I just had to toss 12 pages of notes. <laughs> Does any of that surprise you? I mean, wow. that's a big thing I just went down, but I had to I had to go there. Wow, I'm 100% in the middle <laughs> on everything because um, there's a part of me that wishes you would have brought 12 pages oh. <laughs> of notes because I, I like to feel I would have had some answers for you. But I'm only talking about plot and my interpretation sure. of it, much like you had some issues with Suspiria, and I, I, and I tried to uh, help you with my interpretation Well, see, there. the difference there, Dave, is the difference there, though, is I had a question about Suspiria that I didn't have the answer to that I know the director did, but I'd never read about it, and I knew you would, too. And so it was coming from a place of positivity where I know that answer is going to be juicy and good. This was almost me being like a bastard and being like, no. This is inconsistent, this is inconsistent, this scene when she does this, when this happens, when this happens, how can that be a cautionary tale? It's not. How can this protagonist be this? And then reference like, well, it's not. And yes, uh, this isn't about innocence, this is about narcissism, and that's okay. And I'm just like, oh, well. Well, I'm still in the middle because I didn't know his take oh, okay. on the film. And I don't necessarily think of it the way he's describing sure. it and i also didn't necessarily see this as a cautionary okay. tale either so i have my own interpretation of everything and i i just see it as humankind i don't see the characters in this movie as being any different than the ones in suspiria that just want to advance themselves for their own okay. reason just because human nature a lot of people are greedy and they want money and power i never looked at it as just a simple commentary on the the fashion industry or oh, I'm so glad I, I I'm so it, glad you didn't think of it that way Dave Z because if if I was I was a little scared simple. that if you had all these likes on this being a cautionary tale you know and me having to say well Refn says it's not plus and then if you know because a lot of people are saying oh this is a great cautionary tale that well and even people insulting it some people say oh it's a cautionary tale that you know that that's that's this and this and that's why i loved it and other people will say oh it's a dumb cautionary tale that's just so ham-fisted oh hollywood will chew you up and spit you out and blah 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 lol and i'm just like well and but then for him to go nope it's not that i'm just like man so i'm, I'm so glad you weren't in that headspace because it would have uh, even now what, what I've just kind of admitted to everybody that I've kind of had this like this this whole experience with this movie and having to undo some thinking and having to just be open about man like I gotta I gotta detach myself from the story that I previously had in my head with this then, then to only have to turn around and tell you oh Dave but it's not a cautionary tale and you shouldn't like it for being such because it's a bad cautionary tale if it is a cautionary tale and it doesn't work but you never thought of it like that so in a way you're kind of yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you're in your own headspace, and I, dude, I dig it. I can't wait to hear more of what you're. And we'll probably have to get to that in the after party. But you know, I just yeah, keep going, man. I guess because I've ended my like section because I sort of, I sort of uh, just, just spewed it all out there. This just this big, great one, this big, huge one. So any, anything else you you want to say? You know, just as we as we come off the heels of that. Wow. Well, it's kind of like what I was saying about it not being a cautionary tale for 
anything in particular, but what I was saying, one of my likes was what we pick up from the conversations here, what he's saying about the state of society in general. That's oh, what okay. I like, and that's that's just it. it. To me, it's no different than, boy, there's so many movies I can think about, somebody wanting to achieve power um, for their yeah. own reasons and putting competition amongst other people and, and what you value compared to things that you don't value. I just, it's a microcosm uh, on, on human beings, the, the state of society wow. about how people are, you know, it, it's just, that's what I like. You hear these little conversations and people's opinions on beauty and, and what's important and what you should be doing to yourself and how you feel about yourself and whether you should be competitive with other people and why everybody basically at the end of the day just has their own wants and what will they do to achieve them and what won't they do to achieve them. It's just, you know, it, it speaks to me on that level where it's just, it's cheapening the movie for anyone to think that it's a cautionary tale. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, right. So I never have. I have my own interpretation. Oh. And like I said, it's more in line with Suspiria than it is for other things. I mean. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and coming off what you just said about this being, you know, the ref, you know, reflective of society and, and that, you know, that, that drive forward, that drive to get on top is that was part of, and, and part of those 12 pages of notes had to do with Jesse as an inconsistent protagonist, because here's this girl who sure she's got that it thing. She's got that, that, that thing that everybody wants, but that doesn't make her good. And so I felt like a lot of people feel this way. And I, that's what I thought the movie was trying to say that this thing makes her good. It doesn't make her bad. It's just, it just makes her it just, I could not differentiate between her and I guess the characters that we would the characters that we would say are antagonists because they had the same goals. They were just going about it slightly differently, but ultimately have the same exact goals. And so I'm sitting here thinking, if you're trying to tell me that beauty and innocence are are linked, well, this film's not conveying that very well because this girl might be innocent in certain ways, but not in others. And furthermore, how can if we're supposed to believe that you know her buying into her own hype? is part of the journey her character's making. And that's not necessarily a spoiler, folks. It's just kind of the journey that the main character goes on. You know, hey, are you going to love who you are or are you not? And she does love who she is. And so when she gets to this point in the film where she, you know, begins to buy into her own hype, I'm thinking like, well, even then, the cautionary tale doesn't work there because of various things that are spoilers. And I'm just like, this is this sucks. This is this, this movie doesn't. And I, I this is another criticism. I don't always I will almost never use this. But it was an occasion where I was like, this film literally literally does not know what it wants to be. It wants to be everything. And it's not. But then when Refn said not a cautionary tale, like you were thinking, it's, you know, and like you said, though, reflective of society, it puts Jesse as just a character, not an inconsistent one. She was very consistent. And I was just like, well, shoot, that blows uh, two pages of notes out of the water for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, she flips. She is very innocent and, and very... And, and in a has, way. She has a goal, but she flips. And what happens to her yeah. is it's a lot like what happens in a movie like The Devil's Advocate, where... Oh, good example. Somebody ends up, you know, uh, selling their soul, so to speak, to to achieve yeah, what, so they, to what they think is going to make them happy. But in this film, something similar yeah. happens where she is innocent. Yes, she wants what she wants, but she is very sweet and doesn't show the least bit of attitude until until one thing happens. And then when the second thing happens and yeah. she does see her demon, then everything changes about her personality. Then she realizes, hey, with that 
incredible line, <laughs> I don't want to be them. They want to be me. They want to be me. She knows that See, now. And that changes And that's everything. the... Exactly. And that's the central theme of the film that I think if it's a cautionary tale, you can't have that because Refn is saying, this is where you need to get to. Refn is saying... This is what we need to get to. And the cautionary tale, if there is one, is basically that when you come to that point where you have that level of self-love or that when you embrace, like like he says, like Refn says in interviews, when you embrace that narcissism to the fullest, uh, then then the, the real danger, I guess, is the people around you who aren't going to like that and may want that from you, which I guess is kind of where this film goes in the third act. And so as a cautionary tale, it's a poor one. But if it's about embracing that end goal that jesse has whether she gets that or not how that plays out that's you know for if you haven't seen it you should you should definitely see where that goes and where that takes her but you you said it dave z and i i'm so glad that you you've just you've really impressed me by not even re- letting it register as a cautionary tale or a morality tale because it's that's not what it's going for insofar as we think of it so that's too I'm digging easy. that that's too it, easy. it is that's why i love the film the way i do because it's not it's another movie where I'm peeling back layers, which uh, other people watch the same movie and they don't get out of it what I got out of it, and that's fine. Maybe they never cared to because they thought it was too simple and it was all about look at the colors and things like that, and I get that too. But it, the reason I'm into the movie is because you can peel back layers and make your own. And I, I what I believe in, I'm not 100% sure that's what's going on here. And that's my only dislike. I'm maybe 95% sure that's what's happening, but I can't really say. But Ooh, are, are you ready to get into dislikes? Sure. Or do you have any, any anything? Okay. All right, well, I'll go first. Uh, regarding dislikes, despite my newfound understanding of Refn's vision that is the Neon Demon, given all my dislikes that were put to rest, I've still got one big one to discuss, and it's, it's just personal. Uh, I don't think it really, it doesn't have anything to do with the film itself, just more me. So we talked about connection in Act 2 of the show. So here's the deal. Despite my immense respect for Refn making the film he wanted to make. That's what he said. He, he said that in interviews. I made the film I wanted to make. And I, as a creator myself, find that refreshing and awesome. It's almost like when Jesse's, you know, when 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 someone says to Jesse, well, no one like. I think Gigi says in the movie, the character of Gigi, uh, no one likes the way they look. And she's like, I do. Yeah. And that's what Refn is doing with this film. He's just like, you know, a lot of creators could be like, oh, no one's truly proud of what they make. He's like, I, I am. And I love that about him. But despite that, so that's a that's another like, I guess I should say. I love, I almost, before I thought of him as this self-indulgent, just a-hole. Now I think it's awesome that he's so kind of like just in his head about his own work and loves it. Why the hell not? And so anyways, but despite my appreciation of all that, that he carried his vision out, said what he wanted to say, how he wanted to say it. This is it. I find that I just don't connect fully with this type of story. I don't relate to, nor do I, nor do I particularly enjoy and want to spend time inside stories about high fashion and models rising to the top. And since there's this, there's this deliberate disconnect with the characters, I have a lot of difficulty latching on to anyone so that I actually care about what happens to anyone not not fully it's just a difficulty i have it's a little wall that i gotta get past certain things do certain bad things rather certain characters do certain bad things in the third act that are pretty dark and while i'm into the stranger in a strange land narrative at work here i see that while i want to see how it all plays out i find myself grateful that there's so much eye candy in this movie to make up for my inability to connect 
And so that's the problem with making a film that celebrates egotism. I'm fine with the masturbatory idea of patting yourself on the back and learning to love yourself, but only up to a point. The moment you take that concept and put it into like the world of Los Angeles high fashion and all the unattainable things that come with that scene, rich, young, beautiful, famous people who have nothing to give but the flesh they've got for now, it's a hollow message that I'm, I, I, I don't, you know, and I, I like, I like that Refn owns that message, but it's not one that I can kind of, aside from appreciating that he owns it, I can't like jump aboard it. It's a consistent message. Appreciate that, but it's just empty for me and I can't align with the idea that outer beauty is all there is. Sure, when your job relies on it in this world, I get it, okay? Maybe, maybe it is. Jesse herself says she doesn't have much inside and I, okay, fine. But let's talk everyday real life people here. You, you've got these shallow and mean-spirited country girls out here where I live working at gas stations, and they're just happy to be hot so they can land a man who will marry them and pay for everything so they don't have to work anymore. And if that sounds insensitive of me, I want you to come talk to these girls who celebrate those life goals as the way to be. And doesn't our main character Jessie not celebrate her beauty in that same empty fashion? Like, you know, she admits she's got no skills, has no talent, she just knows she's pretty, and that she'll, that'll get her what she wants. It's a consistent message, I've got no problem there, but for better or worse, it kind of repulses me. And so I don't know if that's necessarily a dislike of the quality of the film itself or in my uh, lack of an acceptance of that central theme. And so that's where I'm, that, that's sort of where I am with it. That's where my relationship with the film kind of is. It's still a good relationship with the film, but there's just something there where I'm like, well, that I've just explained, where I'm just like, you know, that there's a connection to this type of story that I'm like, okay, you know, thank God you told it so well, because like like you said earlier, if there weren't so, so much eye candy in this film style as substance, I don't think I would have been roped in. You take away the lights and maybe the certain casting choices, I would have been like, okay, well, it's a movie about these models and I don't give a damn. But this movie made me give a damn, so it's, it's kind of a like inside a like. It's almost a backhanded dislike compliment insult. I don't know what I'm saying, Dave Z, rescue me here. <laughs> no, it's interesting because the way I I never thought that they were talking about models. Obviously, it's there. I just took it as something that could be placed anywhere. So as I'm watching, it is the a movie, template for sure. Yeah, right. It is a template. And going in, yes, I, I am immediately into the the way it begins and the, the the opening shots and everything. Oh yeah, I'm I'm hook, line, and sinker. Boom! Look at this color. Look at the music. L listen to the music. Everything great. So. When it went into what it went into, I didn't care that it was about modeling any any less than I would care about if Suspiria is about dancing. It just it, it is what it is. It just happens to take place in this world. But going into it, I knew it was uh, you know built as a horror movie. So I'm waiting to see what horrific things are going to happen and where the story is going to take me. Then you know when the evil presence, if you want to take that route, is introduced. I, I just went along for the ride, so it never really entered my head that it was. I don't know. I I, I can't. Weird. Well, I think you. I think you viewed it a little more for the, the 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 metaphor for what it is. Where I was, uh, where I was not attracted to the literal aspects of it dealing with the fashion is I have no interest in that stuff. Refn loves it. Good. He painted that picture, and I, I was able to. It, he conveyed it well. I just don't, that's a world that just me and my sensibilities, I'm not interested in it in the slightest. Whereas, and, but I like where you, it, this could have been, say, corporate America with a bunch of dudes. This could be 
anything with a competitive edge. This could be athletics, could be anything. Yeah. I think for me, if it had been one of those, if the template had been one of those other things to say the same thing, I might have connected better. And so, like I said, that's where I don't think it's a fault of the movie. It's just like where I'm just like, ah, oh, this just happens to be one of those types of stories that I just don't care about but the movie did draw me in that's i'm not it's I'm, I'm trying to walk a razor's edge here of explaining that i was interested totally in how things play out but whereas it's just it was that superficial fashion part of it that part of the template we got stranger in a strange land and this journey is going to take place in the high fashion realm ah if it had been would hmm. i have been more interested if it were you know chicks in corporate america dudes in corporate america athletics i don't know maybe maybe not but, but it wouldn't have if, looked that way that'd be the problem. no it wouldn't have looked that way and yes. that way it would have had its own its own look so fair enough so but but even then we're sort of we're getting into the idea of this movie and its lighting it's eye candy being part of the central theme of outer beauty being important because this movie if if that's your thesis statement that hey outer beauty is what's up this movie nails that knocks it out of the park so yeah i didn't mean to do so yeah anyways that that's good response i like that you were able to view sort of the uh, to kind of walk past the literal aspects that were bought that kind of irking me and see the template uh just kind of as a more open uh open-ended thing to tell the story i dig that so yeah cool i maybe hopefully maybe hopefully i can get there maybe after another viewing and kind of divorce myself look davesy i've had to do a lot of un Un deconstruction of my brain and un un untelling like divorcing myself from stories and thoughts. So I'm <laughs> I'm I'm a bit of a mess today, Dave Z. <laughs> hey, that's okay. I'm just glad you've you've come around and you can appreciate it. But, I'm teachable, man. Absolutely, as am I. It's it's like what I say. My opinions. A lot of people hold hold onto their opinions like they hold onto their balls. It's, it's, <laughs> and there's nothing they can do. It's like a slight on them as people if somebody changes their opinions, where I think the opposite. If my opinion can be swayed, you know what that means? It means I learned something, and the more I learn, the better off I am. So. Oh, yeah. Well, and, 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 and speaking to that, too, it's just the deal is that before I heard Refn's whole take on the movie, when he clarified everything... You know, left to my own devices, I saw a bad movie that looked great. And when he cleared it up and said, no, this is what it's really about, it flipped everything on its head because when he's deliberately saying what he says about the themes, about this, it goes so against where you want to go as a viewer. You don't want to automatically think that, oh, this is a film celebrating narcissism. You, that, our instinct is, is to not see that as a virtue. Yet reference saying, well, I'm saying it is, and that's how this story is playing out. It's just like, whoa. So... This isn't a cautionary tale. This isn't about what I thought. This isn't about this. It's not. So I had to do a lot of opening myself up and undoing things. So, uh, yeah, and I totally agree with you. So anyways, uh, we're, we're still in dislikes, uh, the dislike camp folk and, and kind of sort of going over this. So Dave Z, I said mine. Well, what have you got, buddy? My only dislike is that <laughs> it's like I said about not being 100% in the know. I have my take on it. But I'm not 100% sure that's it. And actually, now having this discussion with you so far, I'm slightly discouraged. And this is the second time this has happened uh, b b between me and you and the director. Because oh, what? Because it happened when you told me something that uh, Ari Aster was saying about uh, Hereditary that I was like, you know what? I don't like that that's the way he sees it. I, I like oh, the way I see it yep. better. This is kind of what's happening now hearing this about 
about Refn saying that that it's celebrating narcissism. I don't see it that way. I see narcissism being part of it. But I, the movie is yeah. called The Neon Demon. To me, there's evil at play here, and there's evil that is causing narcissism. So unless you want to be like me and subscribe to the fact that sometimes these directors say certain things, uh, sure, maybe sure. maybe to troll people, and they 100% aren't <laughs> subscribing to that, which could be very possible, then I guess it could save it for me because my interpretation of it is that it's not celebrating narcissism despite what you said, but that helped it for you. But then again, maybe my explanations when we get into spoilers that will help. Yeah, th- that could make it. Oh, it won't matter to you. You know. Okay, I'm very curious about that. So we'll probably get into that in the in the after party. Am I right? Oh yeah, yes sir. Okay, well, okay. I have one other <sighs> dislike. You j- you talked about directors saying things to troll people, and I'm going to save this for the after party. And I hope you listeners will stay for that, because when the after party starts, I'm going to ask Davesy a question. He does not know the question, everybody. And I, I am anxious to see how he and you all will respond to that question, especially when I tell you what, how Refn chooses to answer that question. So just just let's know that's hanging out there in the ether. And uh, well, that's it for me as far as, as the likes and dislikes go. Are we ready to get into final thoughts and ratings, my friend? Absolutely. Okay, well, I'll go first, and I'll be quick. Like I said, (laughs) ad nauseum, I went on a real journey with this movie. I went from outright hating it back in, well, not hate, but just just going in 2016 to really enjoying the hell out of it here three years later. To say this film is an exercise in style over substance would be missing what's really going on in this film, and hell, like I said before, this movie's emphasis on substance aligns with the story's central theme on celebrating outer beauty. So even then, if you call this film style over substance, I bet Refn would be like, well, okay, okay then. Haha, <laughs> gotcha. So, uh, look, I might not connect with everything this film is throwing down, but damn it, does this movie work to defy convention by being an anti-cautionary tale, as it were? That really appeals to me and, and repels me at the same time, and I think that's a good thing. How strange. Folks, I'm at an 8.75 out of 10 on this bad boy. That's where I am. I went from what I probably would have said would be like a, I was in the four range. I oh. seriously doubled my score. Wow. I just felt it was so badly written. Like I said, I just like, there's no way w- w- Refn knows what he's doing here. He just knows how to make a film, but can't write. Who is letting this happen? Get a script doctor. But he answered it and I was like, oof, you got to eat crow there. This is a much better movie than I gave it credit for. Gave it one watch uh, a few days ago. and was like, yep, that's, that's what I'm seeing here. So. That's my final thoughts. My rating: eight point seven five out of ten. Uh, Dave Z, what do you what do you say, buddy? Wow. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, nothing has changed for me since the first time I saw it. I have probably seen it five or six times now. Oh, very good. It, yeah, it is one of my my current favorites from the two thousand tens. It's right up my alley with with its presentation. Uh, everything about it is uh, it really speaks to me. And because I have my interpretation of it, it definitely helps it for me that every time I like pardon me every time I watch it I like it more because it just seems to me that the way I'm interpreting it is is the is the right way and it helps make everything make sense oh, and that's what I like I'm so excited to hear this Dave <laughs> yeah man yeah I, I can't wait to get into it but uh yes nothing's changed I, I'm very high on this movie it's a 9.5 out of 10 um, oh nice yeah. hey the reason it's not a 10 out of 10 is because of what i said before i'm not 100 percent sure that my theories are correct and i'm a little tiny bit confused so when i'm a little bit confused 
I, 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 I don't feel comfortable saying 10 out of 10 range, but yeah. nine and a half, man. Rock and roll. I love it. I love it. Well, shoot, uh, man. And I love it too. All right, folks, that does it for our spoiler free review of the neon demon 2016. Thus concluding our showtime segment, which brings act three of this horror show to a close. Well, Dave Z, that's three in the bag, and I'm digging it. I think we're on fire. What say you, buddy? Oh, yeah, man. I, I, I said it last time, and I'm going to follow up on it again and just say that each show seems to be more fun, and, and I'm, I'm more laid back now than I than I have been. Uh, I'm just kicking it on my couch, Same. speaking into my mic, and uh, the, the jitters <laughs> that I had show one were, were pretty much gone show two, but show three... I'm 100% in, in comfort mode here, so I'm just enjoying every second of it. Oh, I, I dig it. I dig it. I dig it. So, folks, only one more order of business to attend to before we wrap things up, and that's where we choose the film we'll be reviewing next show. If you did not hear episode two of the podcast, then here's the deal, folks. At this point in every episode, Dave Z will come prepared with a movie in his brain. Okay? Mr. Watson will come prepared with a movie in his brain. This time, we'll be selecting a movie from 2015, and that's the pattern, folks. We started with a film from 2018, last episode was 2017, this episode is 2016, next episode 2015, and neither of us knows what the other has in mind. We'll flip a coin using a cool coin flipping app, and then we'll see whose pick makes it to the next show. Dev Z, I believe it's your turn to manage the coin flipping app and for oh, me man. to call in the air this time around. So I'm going to count to three, I'm going to throw it, and then you call in the air. One. Wait, wait. Say, say, say again. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Excuse my uh, my ineptitude here. Uh, you're you're gonna count to three, and then you want me to call it? Uh, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna count to three. I'm gonna flip it. I'm gonna make sure it's it's in the air, and then call it while it's in the air. Okay, got it. So, okay, hold on. One, two, three. Oh, wait a minute. Why isn't it flipping? Hold on. Maybe I gotta tap it. Oh. One, two, oh. three. Call it. Oh, tails. It is tails. Yeah. Oh, hey, Lady Liberty. All right. All right. Well then. The movie that I, the 2015 movie that I selected for us is We Are Still Here. Please tell me you didn't review that. No. On I Exploding Heads. I tried to look it up and it's, it didn't seem like you had on Exploding Heads, but I don't think you would have on any of your other shows, but I couldn't say whether you had on like the Skeleton Crew or not. No, I have not reviewed it. I, I, I've discussed it briefly on, um, on Exploding Heads, but, um. No, and I've only seen it one time, and it's definitely due for a rewatch, that's for sure. Okay. Nice. So let me get a synopsis of the film coming up. It's starring the lovely Barbara Crampton in the cold, wintry fields of New England, a lonely house. I'm, wait, hold on. I am ex, I am not reading that on the show. That is not making the final cut. So it's just, folks, it's a haunted house. I'm making sure I cut that out. Folks, it's a haunted house story that is... I'm just going to go ahead and say, I'm just going to kind of reveal my hand now that it's the type of haunted house narrative that makes the climactic, oh, somebody got drugged down a hallway. This puts that to shame. This is a different thing. And I really like it. I think it's a cold movie. I think it has some interesting things to say. And I think we'll talk about that. I don't think I know. We'll be talking about that in episode four of the party. So we are still here. What, what did you choose out of curiosity, Dave Z? What would have been your choice had it gone heads? Well, it's weird because actually, no, because I just realized that it's actually 2014. It didn't, it wasn't available, oh. you know, because yo, check it out. I've been looking at my old exploding heads um, and end of year shows. And that, that's, I've been looking at the list because they, they were go, you know, 40, 50, 60 movies deep. And I've been looking at those and say, which ones would be good to talk about? So 
movies that I did on the 2015 end show, it, it was 2015 for me. But by the way, because that's when it was released out here. But if you look on the B, it, it, it would say a different year. So that, I guess oh, okay. that means we're gonna we're going by strictly what it says on the B, right? When we decide a year. Um. Well, I I did know that uh, I I remember I, we are still here did come out in 2015 for sure. I remember it made my my end of it made my high high on my top ten for that year. Right. Okay. So so we're gonna go by when it came out. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well then then it, okay. What I was going to do was I had two movies. Okay. Oh. The first movie was the canal. And, oh. and the second think, was Starry yeah. Eyes. And I was going to say, pick one because Starry Eyes is very familiar. It's very it, very similar to Neon Demon. So if you think it's too similar and you don't want to do it, then we'll do the canal. That's what I was going to tell you. And I was going to give it to you. To, to, to so actually, you, so you were just, just this might be a spoilerific thing, but when we were going to in next episode, we were going to pick for 2014. My choice was going to be Starry Eyes. That was my number one of that year. Well, see, I was going to switch it to 2014 when I saw that because it said 2014. But again, we reviewed it in 15 because that's when we saw it here. So how about that? Let me ask you, as long as we're on the subject of of, um, of Starry Eyes, do you yeah. consider Starry Eyes a cautionary tale? Well, that's the thing. I need to watch it again because I've only seen it twice and it's been you know a few years since I've seen it. But I would wonder if it would do you well... To look at this maybe in the same way that you should look at the Neon Demon as not a cautionary tale. This is about embracing narcissism. I think that one is about embracing ambition and, and doing anything, no matter what. And so in a way, both are very Faustian, but not necessarily... You, you don't want to use Faust as a, as a, as a cautionary tale. Or as, as well, as Faust as a way to be. But I think they're almost saying be Faust. It's okay. And that's not the way a cautionary tale ought to go. You're saying, no, no, Faust made a mistake. And they're saying, no, do it. It's almost very devilish. And that's sort of what I what, what sort of really struck me so great about the Neon Demon. It's so cocky if it's about narcissism. It's just such a cocky way to say, yeah, this is what's up. It's just such it's such an asshole thing to do. And there's something about that that just made me smile and go like, wow, <laughs> that's bold. Nice. And I think Starry Eyes, to a different extent, might play to that same end i don't know i'm kind of curious if say one of us were to choose that for the 2014 show and say the coin flip goes the right way and that does get discussed then i would be curious to see how that goes hmm. well maybe yep. that will happen then if it's gonna come. it, it, it okay. might it very well might but <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> we both pick it no but uh so <laughs> then uh yeah so yeah folks you can expect we are still here 2015 for the next show so dave z why don't we take a quick second here to give our plugs where can listeners find more of you, my friend? Okay, well, all my shows can be found on Horophilia.com, Horophilia Network. We are uh, on all the podcatching apps, iTunes, Spotify, Podcruncher, all that, all that nonsense. I don't know what they are, but we're out there. We have Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast. We have the ABCs of Hidden Horror. And, of course, we have this wonderful show right here, Watsy Party, which I'm going to say again. Please, people, subscribe. Subscribe everywhere you can for us. Get us out there. W-A-T-Z-E-E. -E. Yes. I don't care if you use a space or a hyphen, whatever it is or nothing. It's going to come up one way or the other, I think. Yep. Get on there and subscribe and, and give us a rating. But we're all there. Uh, on my Twitter, it's at, at E-H Horror Podcast for Exploding Heads. And Ooh. Exploding Heads is on um, uh, Instagram and 
Dave Z-E-E on Facebook. That's all I got. Find me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Find him, folks. As for the Watsy Party Horror Show here. Wait. No, I got to talk about that other thing. Yeah. As for I, me, yeah. <laughs> I'd be honored if you check out my solo cast Horror Corridor. Like I say every time, type that into your Google box, your podcast catching app. You're a, you're a grown-up. You know how to type. H-O-R-R-O-R-C-O-R-R-I-D-O-R. That's how you do it. That's how you spell that bad boy. Type that in there. Download it if you'd be so kind. Do what I can on that show to deliver a well-produced pseudo-intellectual show, so give it a go. Next episode that I'm working on right now is about French horror. The last episode I did was about a Serbian film, and I gave a couple 2019 recommendations. One that I think everybody should check out called The Laplace's Demon. I really think people ought to check that out. And a black and white 60s throwback Italian language film, 2019. It's dope. It's dope. And uh, as for the Watsi Party Horror Show here, be sure to check out the show notes of the episode where we will have links posted of the articles and studies we use. I've got quite a bunch of those this time around. Not as much last time. And I think I forgot to post a YouTube video or something, but no one called me out on it. So, f*** y'all. <laughs> there will be a, quite a lot to read for this episode. Give it a go. Folks, we love your feedback. And you can find this show on social media in the following places on Facebook. We've got a group page for the show that you can join. Let's type in Watsi Party Horror Show. Get in on the fun we'll have over there. Find us on Instagram by using... Well, here's the deal. I need to get kicking on Instagram, everybody. I, 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 I'm I, still struggling on how to strategize with that one. But anyway, you can find us by searching Watsi Party Horror Show, all one word. And lastly, we're on Twitter. So follow us there. We're at Watsi Party, W-A-T-Z-E-E-P-A-R-T-Y, because you got to follow us. I'm really starting to understand Twitter after a couple months now. I'm having fun there for sure. Check us out to keep up to date meet, and read uh, little mini reviews I post here and there. Also, hit us up by email if you want to be heard on the show. The email address is watsypartyhorrorshow at gmail.com. That's w-a-t-z-e-e-p-a-r-t-y-h-o-r-r-o-r-s-h-o-w at gmail.com. My friends, be sure to stay tuned after the outro music that you're hearing right now. Hear that? After that's done playing, so you can hear Dave and I, Dave Z and I, in our spoiler-filled discussion of The Neon Demon 2016. And, unless there's anything else, that about does it. Dave Z, what do you think, sir? Yeah, let's get out of here and after-party time. After-party time. All right. Well, folks, that concludes episode number three. I'm the Watt. Dave's the Z. And we thank you very much for attending our horror show. So please, join the party and celebrate the genre with us. See you next time. It is now time for the What Z Party Horror Show After Party segment to commence. Okay, folks, if you're listening to this portion of the episode, that means you've either seen the film or else you don't mind spoiler talk because that's what's going down right here and now. Consider yourself warned, my friends, because it begins. So, Dave, I'm going to ask you a question that might seem like it's coming a little out of left field. Maybe not, but this is, this is what I alluded to before. Do you consider, and folks, th- I'm, I'm asking you too, Answer it with me. Answer with Dave. Do you consider The Neon Demon 2016 to be a horror movie? Absolutely. Okay, okay. Because, and I like that you say that, because since my first watch, I have been grappling with this. My first watch, I wasn't convinced it was horror. And second watch, I, I was, I was, I, about a month ago, I was on the, on the fence. I was like, okay, yeah, I, I'm seeing, I'm seeing this. Well, you know who doesn't consider this to be necessarily a horror movie? The director. Reffin himself. They never do. Here's an, 
Yeah, here's an excerpt from, well, he, he has a very funny thing to say about it. You talked about people saying things to troll people. Here's mm -hmm. what he said. I've got an, an, a piece of an interview Refn did with Financial Times. He, the interview was talking about, you know, the sort of what we were talking about the end of the, of, of the, of the Showtime segment where there's sort of a Faustian thing going on. So, uh, he, the, I'm kind of coming in the middle of the sentence here. So the interviewer says, this makes the neon demon sound gothic and Faustian. And it is, but to label it a horror movie as Refn once did may be a step too far. Well, that's something you sell to get the money, draws Refn and Elle Fanning's right there. And she says, and now it's completely changed, chirps Fanning. And it's as much a horror movie as Drive was a getaway film, says Refn. Sure, there are horrific elements in it, but I thought it could be fun making something that would start with horror movie DNA and then see what would happen. I got interested in other things along the way, things that grabbed our attention, both of us, I feel. He's talking about L, uh, L Fanning. And we just went ahead with that instead. And then here in another interview I read with him, Refn was pretty much like, yeah, we sold the money. We, so we sold the money people the idea of a horror movie and had to go back to them like, whoops, this isn't that. So, like, how, how does that make you feel? I mean, because S. Craig Zoller said about Bone Tomahawk, which was my number one of 2015, he said, oh, you guys consider this a horror movie? If, if, if this were a horror movie, I would have made it way more graphic and crazier. So he's sitting there going, it's just a Western, guys. And this is where, this is where, you know, the I start to subscribe as a consumer to, well, I'm just going to go ahead and treat this how I want. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so what do you think? Because I do think this is a dark film. So I can see the appeal as a horror fan myself. If somebody were to say, oh, this is just more dark speculative fiction, I'd be like, okay, I gotcha, dark drama. If someone were to say horror, I'm not going to have any sort of uh, horse in that race. But I just thought you might, you know, want to hear kind of what Refn sort of had to say about it, <laughs> right? I mean, I just, I found that surprising as I came across that. I'm just like, wait, in all the things I have to kind of undo in my brain, he also doesn't consider this to be horror? But he does say it began with horror DNA, and there are some... I, I hate to equate horror and horrific because they're not always the same thing. You can have a straight-up drama that has horrific things happen, and that doesn't make it horror. Tale of Two Cities ends with executions, and that's not a horror book at all. Uh, you know, Christmas... You know, so you... you and, and I can probably do dozens of examples, but yeah, what, what do you think about that? It's not surprising, and that's why I guessed it when you said it, because this happens all the time with directors, because especially non-horror directors who make a horror movie because sure. horror is a dirty word. They, you, don't wanna, you don't want it to be masqueraded as that. Now, if it's a movie like this where you can peel back the layers and see the horrors going on, you could take it either way. You could take it at face value and say, well, maybe, maybe not. But the way I interpret it is, is that it is. But this happens all the time. I mean, ask um, uh, Friedkin. He doesn't consider The Exorcist a horror movie. This, is that right? Yeah, this happens again and again. Uh, well, the I, difference, I can't tell the, you how many times. The difference with Refn here is it seems like he did want to make a horror movie, but then just got interested in other things. I think he isn't coming at, coming at it from a place of, oh, this is a social thriller or this is this. I think he set out to make a horror, at least from what I've been able to glean from his interviews, it seems like he set out to make a horror movie, sold the studio that idea, and then did his own thing. It was like, oh, shit, like this isn't quite that anymore this is quite isn't what we uh we, we set out to do and so I, I i it's it's a slightly different approach than necessarily being ashamed of horror i think yeah maybe so i i don't think it's number one i don't think it's so much that he's ashamed of it i just think that he thinks it's more marketable when it's not 
ultimately. I think they tried, oh, okay. if he tried to market it as a horror movie and it didn't get over as much as he wanted to, well, he has a name that's out there. Why not now try to market it as not a horror movie and then see sure. who bites? It, yeah. It could just be for, you know, financial reasons. Or this movie was actually filmed chronologically. It was filmed yeah. in order, which is unusual, and they kind of decided what to do at the end when they got to the end. So that is really, really weird because it made the the plot makes sense to me. Like I said, I'm 95% sure is that this everything that I'm going to say about the plot yeah. makes sense. So it's weird. Again, when the director says things like that, it's almost like it's trying to de- deter me from my interpretation. And Well... And I can't wait to hear that, Dave Z, but I guess I do want to speak to one area. Like I said, I don't have a horse in this race. If someone says it's horror, it, it, fine. If they don't, fine. I'm sort of, I'm so on the fence about it. I'm going to say that if I believed fully that this wasn't a horror film, I would have probably protested, like, PM'd you and been like, Dave, like, this is a horror show, dude. What are we doing? And then maybe centered our debate around that. But I didn't have that much of a you know of a of a horse in that race because i was like i can see how this is horror but i guess one area that sort of makes me agree with what refin's vision was was there there are points of tension but would you say it's tension that is engendered in the way that horror films typically go about creating tension Hmm. I guess there's nothing typical about this movie, but there isn't up until the very last act there's not a lot of tension in fact i found this movie funnier then I found it outright horrific. And, and, and Refn's very quick to say, because I think a lot of people thought there was unintentional humor. Like, because there's a point where <laughs> that one guy, she, what is it? She introduces him to uh, Dean, and he goes, what's your name, Bean? Yeah, right. And I just lost it. I started laughing. In my first watch, I'm like, this is so stupid. This is so pretentious and dumb that this movie doesn't even know that it's, it's unintentionally hilarious. Well, Refn's like, no, I know it's funny. And it's like, oh, well... Okay, I guess you covered all your bases, Refin. So, uh, but yeah, I just so I, I found there to be a lot of comedy in this, but it doesn't necessarily make it a comedy because it's not that. Now, I'm not debating the horror thing. I guess I just kind of play in devil's advocate where if someone were like, well, where's the tension in, in, in Act 1 and 2? I could be like, yeah, aside from a couple points. Yeah, it is definitely minimalized. But yeah, that, that I'm not going to belabor the point. It's just I just wanted to throw that out you. And it didn't seem like you were surprised that Refin would say this, but I did want to like may, maybe clearly say that it's not because he thinks of horror as a dirty word but just because i think he got sort of lost in the in the pretty lights and wanted to do his own thing i can so. see that and he he has an outside view of horror he doesn't know yes. what horror can be he probably doesn't know that certain movies exist in, in, in the genre when he probably he probably has a, a very especially being a filmmaker himself he probably considers horror you know a step above porn so he has an idea sure. of what horror is he doesn't realize about the gems that we talk about on these podcasts and everything. Oh else. yeah, he's an outsider looking in. So I, that's what I think could be another reason. I don't know. And that bad bean thing is funny, and that probably that cracked me though. up. It is funny, and uh, you know, it, it, it's uh, a. <laughs> I, I saw that happen in another movie where I think it's funny in that other movie too, but I don't think it's supposed to be funny. I think it's oh. speaking to the character being an asshole busting the girl's balls because there's a movie called Bully. And I, I'm a big fan of this movie. I've watched it so I haven't times. seen that. Oh, you've never seen Bully? No. Oh, do you have Prime? No, I don't. Oh, damn. I got to get it to you some. It's okay. Have you seen that movie, Kids? Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Larry Clark. This is his follow up movie. It's called Bully. It's based on a, a, a true thing that happened in Florida where um, this group of friends killed a, a bully. 
and he was one of their friends. It, but anyway, good movie. But it, there's a scene in Bully where the bully himself, he meets this girl. They're driving around. There's like four or five in a car cruising around getting high and all that. And she says something. I don't know. And at one point, the guy, the, the kid looks back. He's driving and she's in the back. He goes, yeah, he goes, he goes, he goes, what, he goes what's your name? He goes, he's a, he goes, what's your name? Feather? And <laughs> she says, <laughs> Heather. My name's Heather. But I always Feather. found humor in that that he thought her name was Feather. Feather. Like, he really thought that for that minute. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Some chick named Feather. <laughs> and I don't know if it's meant for laughs, but it always made me laugh. So that bean comment reminded me of that, and it did make me laugh, oh. but it was odd. I was reading um, the Metacritics thing. I was reading some reviews for the hell of it. And one of them okay. said something about humor and comedy. And it, it's this and this. And and I'm th- and as I was reading that, I was thinking to myself, there is not one thing to me comical about that movie except the bean comment. So it's funny that oh, you brought okay. it up. But- there are just times where, much like, the, much like a movie that you could... I did rate it, I think, an 8 out of 10. But again, it's one of those where I wasn't... I'm even not sure, even though I reviewed it on Horror Corridor, Velvet Buzzsaw, how hor- it's it's very minimal on the horror. It was one of those other ones where there are so many subtle, funny things that are, are not outright funny, like just that there's a character named John Don Don, and I'm just over there laughing, but I because I know it's written as a, this is a ridiculous name that some art critic or some art curator would have because he's he's pretentious and I'm John Don Don, and I'm just <laughs> like, oh, that's hilarious, and so you know, just things like that. I found a few of those in this movie where I just kind of laugh and be like, oh, that's that's funny, but I, I can't point them out because uh, I, I, I don't have those as bullet points, but um, yeah, I just I just kind of want to get your input right away that, yeah, I didn't I didn't want to outright say it in the Showtime segment because to because then we'd have to talk about, well, what makes this a horror movie for us? And it would have to be the horrific content, which boils down to the things that happened in the third act. And you have something else you're alluding to, but I want to save that because I'm I'm most excited for that. So let me go over a couple bullet points I have that I sort of fleshed out a little in the Showtime segment. This will kind of be the warm up for your thing. So one of the points that I originally had uh, was Jesse as a protagonist. So like I, like I said before, but I'll, I'll flesh this out better here in the after party. One of the things that bothered me at first, like I said, was that I couldn't distinguish between Jesse and the other girls. Like they appeared to have the same exact goals to be pretty for pretty's sake, which is the nature of their industry. Okay. The only difference I found between Jesse and the other girls was that Jesse actually bought into her own hype, whereas the other girls faked it or were insecure about this. They wanted what she had and literally ate her for it. But the deal is that Jesse isn't innocent by any stretch. She's not bad, okay, per se. I said that same thing before. It's almost like I'm kind of reading these bullet points now. I just had them in my head. But when discussing her character in an interview uh, that I'll have for you all in the show notes, Refn was like, yeah, she's a stranger in a strange land, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, but maybe Dorothy has come there to Oz to poison the wizard. Refn himself even calls Jesse manipulative to a degree that she too will do what it takes to get to the top, and this movie is her journey toward that. Refn considered her to be a lamb among wolves, except in this case, the lamb is leading the wolves toward her own eventual slaughter. These are wolves who want to become lambs by eating the lamb. And I find that profound and kind of fu- and kind of funny. Mm. And to that end, it's a popular talking point with this movie that Jesse is eventually punished for buying into her own beauty. And this is what I couldn't quite say uh, in the Showtime segment. The scene where she kisses herself in the mirror is that birthing moment, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but Refn would say that Jesse isn't punished for anything. She just has what these girls want, so they take it. 
Refn wants us to be like Jesse. Like I said earlier, this is not a cautionary tale. This is not a scathing critique of the fashion industry to the tune of it will chew you up and spit you out, which I couldn't say before, but literally, which does happen in this film. She gets, you know, cannibalized and, uh, and, and then an eye <laughs> pops out of Gigi's mouth. This does happen, of course, literally. But I guess, like I said, if there's a cautionary tale to be told here, it's that when you come to a place in your existence where you can fully love yourself, where you can fully embrace your ego, people will be jealous of that and bad things might come from that. So that's kind of all there was to that. And the last thing I had to say about Jesse is I think it's bold. Well, just the message of the film. I think it's bold of Refn to spread that message. But I also think it makes Jesse somewhat unrelatable, which is why I'm never full. I'm rooting for her. But I'm sort of like, like I said before, it's so hard to go into a film and go, okay, not a cautionary tale, not a cautionary tale. We're embracing narcissism here and sort of rooting for that because I'm not. The, the, the narcissistic people that I know in real life are pieces of garbage. But they're not, they're not these models and they don't have, you know, they, these are people who will take the shirt from your back because they're God on earth. And I'm not saying that's what Jesse is. I maybe would think that Sarah and Gigi would do that. I'm not saying she would. I'm not saying she wouldn't. Refn's comment about her being like Dorothy coming to Oz to poison the wizard is is interesting. That in a way, just because she has the it factor, that thing that people want, we equate that to good. And there's an experiment here. God, I almost wish I gave this a nine now that I'm thinking this because there and maybe next watch I will. But there's an experiment here about how we equate beauty with goodness. And Refn is kind of aligning with that but not in the way we always want to. It's like how pretty people are good, ugly people bad, but he's he's basically saying, yeah, embrace that superficiality to the max. And it's just like, love yourself and, and own it. It's just like, wow, that's bold. <laughs> so, nice. you know, uh, so yeah, I'm just kind of, those are some points I wanted to make. And uh, last thing I have in my notes is, were you surprised when they ate Jesse in the end, when they did that? I was not expecting that at all. No, of course I, I was. No, I wasn't expecting that at all. I wasn't That's expecting. That's a swerve, <laughs> dude. I wasn't expecting them to. When she died, it was a shock. That yes. was my first shock. I was not. She's the lead of the movie. And by yeah. the way, I do. This is the first time I do like what the director said. I do like that. That that she's the lamb, and they want to be the lamb, and all that other stuff. And that maybe she went there, yeah. and she was just pretending to be sweet. Because. Sure, why not? Uh, you can, you know, you catch more flies with sugar or honey, whatever, however the oh, indeed. goes. You know, maybe she is doing that and she's not as innocent as she comes up, but she still treats everybody respectfully. So even she whether does. it's fake or not, I still like her and relate to her, but I don't see the whole antagonist thing and about being in with her. I just see myself as a spectator of the film from start to finish. And it, ultimately, to me, it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy that she comes here to do this thing, and then she's seduced because they seduce her. They they, they put her onto this this whole thing they put her onto. Then they eventually, when they can't compete with her, and when the other one especially can't get what she wants from her, then and only then, you know, do they get the okay to do what they do. That's how I look at it. And uh, I like it. Yeah. I just take it as it is, but it's tragic to me that she ends up the way she does because I don't think she's faking it. I think that she genuinely is good, but then the, the scene which you spoke of uh, with um, when she's kissing herself, when she closes the first show that she ever does, and when that happens, she shows fear and, and the blue light is on her the entire time. Then yeah. she gets her confidence and then the evil switch is turned on and then she goes red. 
that's when the neon demon itself takes over. That's yep. how I got the whole the whole thing, and, and, th- and that's a big part of it. So at, at that point, she is still there. It, it's hard to explain because I still do feel for her when she goes back to the hotel and um, she has a dream uh, about Keanu Reeves. Uh, oh yeah! And then she Jeez. wakes up, and that scene happens. Which again, I'm, I don't know. I, I don't know if that scene does in fact happen. I kind of think that um, somebody else causes that to happen, so she ends up where she ends up. That that's part of my whole theory. But I do like what you said about that, though. Uh, it, it, it's an interesting that helps me with the director's. Uh, that's the first thing that he said that's made me feel better. I do dig that, that about her. Still, still remaining the lamb, and they still want that. Yeah. But by, by that time, she's not bad. She's not know? the lamb I, I, anymore, I, though. I don't yeah. Think. Or maybe in some crazy way, she embraced her lambness to the fullest, and that's what the movie is about—that these wolves can never be that. And she, she even says that—that that, you know, they, they, you know, I, they want to be me. And maybe there's, because that. Okay, let's 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 step back. Let's talk about that second fashion show, because Reffin said something. Okay, at first, when I was kind of on my hate campaign for this, I, I Reffin was talking about that second fashion show, and he's just like, I wanted it to be this spir- spiritual experience, and so I wanted to invoke the artwork of James Terrell. It's actually somebody I mentioned in uh, the last episode of Horror Corridor. If you look up James Terrell art, like think of just that big triangle that big neon triangle mm-hmm. he does a lot of stuff like that and for Reffin he said he wanted to make it a spiritual experience because something spiritual is happening with Jesse uh, her journey is coming to fruition right here and the triangle though one of the let me let me see if I can pull it up the one one of the interviewers asks about this triangle in particular okay here we go so Davesy talking about that second fashion show the interviewer in the from the independent or just independent asks him he it's he's like hello really enjoyed the neon demon the whole thing was has a very occult feel the three villains Mm -hmm. being very witch-like was that Mm -hmm. your intention and he says yes they were like the alistair crowley disciples the whole movie was very much designed around the witchcraft ceremony (laughs) there's later in this interview and i I don't want to go through it all because it's kind of a long interview but he likens the triangle that Jesse is looking at to her being in the middle of that triangle and the three antagonists very witch-like you know because that's kind of an occult symbol has that occult feel Mm -hmm. Jesse is in the middle of those three antagonists and that's sort of what that symbol is sort of meaning almost like foreshadowing but it's also the spiritual experience of her coming into her own where I guess you could word it like she's starting to buy into her own hype that that might be accurate, but she's embracing that inner narcissism, and that's that's what Refn wanted this movie to be about. But at the same time, there's a danger that she's sort of being spiritually warned about as she becomes this neon demon. Is she the neon demon? I I I'm I'm not sure about that, Dave. What what are your thoughts on that? Because what, first of all, what are your thoughts on what I just said about the witch like sort of? I'm not saying they're witches, but no, I'm no, not no, saying no. they're not. I'm <laughs> saying there's something there. And so yeah, Dave Z, go off that man. That's it, homie. That's it. I'm vindicated. That's my whole theory, and I could go on and on about it. <laughs> do you now? Do you is... believe they are literally? Yes. Witches, in the sense, or, or like that, it's a metaphor. No, no, they are witches. Oh wow! They I, even... I did not see that. Oh yeah, hundred percent. They, they introduce her to something for a certain reason. Uh, what's her name? Freaking transforms into a cat. 
and they show the cat later on that's her gimmick at the place that she's staying supposedly which isn't hers but i look at that like that's the guy that runs the whole thing it's his place and they're all allowed to stay there as long as they want they just don't own it and there's dialogue that says that yeah i remember that wait wait go back to the cat scene because the mountain lion scene yes i I took it to mean that okay I, i i am very happy we're in the after party here right now because we're, when I watched that scene the f- this last time, it hit me that, okay, like, the mountain lion, and I looked up a little bit of mountain lion symbolism, which I don't have in front of me now, but there's this idea of the mountain lion being this lone hunter, and that, you know, some people who do, like, kind of Native American spirit animal things, you know, sort of, sort of studies or, or, you know, kind of those practices believe, and this is just a small sliver of it, so, you know, forgive me if anybody knows a lot about that stuff, but, you know, it has to do with you are now on your journey to becoming. And and, and so I, I could see that symbolism with the animal, but you believe that that animal didn't get in there by just sheer chance. You believe that... Uh, which, which character? Uh, Jenna Malone's character? Yeah, Ruby Ruby is, is the... Um, she's the most powerful of the three. She definitely, definitely. is separate. Yes. And you could tell later on when what's going on with her and the blood and everything else. She is separate and she desires... Jesse in a different way than the other girls desire her. The other girls desire yeah. her for materialistic, for jealousy because they want to get what you want. She desires her from a, a lustful way and from a seductress um, who's aligned with a higher power who wants her. And that, now what the deal is this, she that's her, not, not familiar, that's her changeling. That She becomes a mountain lion. She goes to this specific place where she's staying shortly after meeting her and introducing her to the first show where she first pays, sees the neon demon the very first time, the first night they go out. She specifically takes her to that show, makes sure she goes to that show, and they're all there, and they're all look, giving her the looks. This is their plan. Now, after that goes down, she wants to check stuff out at wh- where she lives. So... Because she told her that she's staying at this place. But anyway, yeah. she she goes into the room. The mountain lion is there. Later on, like I said, when we're at the other place, they have a mountain lion right there. And it's specifically shown twice. Once in the mirror while she's invoking something, by the way, later on with the lipstick. After she gets turned down and decides, okay, well, she doesn't want me. Now I'm going to go play. Okay. Now I'm going to invoke some things. You see and there's the mo- a mountain lion? You see, the, you, there's an actual stuffed mountain lion in that place. It's a, oh. it's a it's a leopard though. It's another it's another kind of cat. To me, they were all the same. The one looked like a panther. The other one looked like a leopard. Whatever it was, they were big jungle cats, if you will. Whatever. So the theme of this pred- this predatory animal animal for you is like uh, sort of a literal like a, a function of her power. Yes, that's her thing. Now, interesting. Keep in mind this: she goes to that hotel where she's staying. She checks out the scene. Okay. And then later on, she manipulates Jesse. The whole the whole scene with uh, Keanu Reeves' character is manipulated by Jesse. So she goes there. She she checks out the scene, you know, because she turns into the cat. She goes in there. She sees that later on, when uh, maybe she causes Jesse to have that dream. That that's kind of the way I'm buying into it. Um, okay. She, she has the dream. She wakes up. And then we see what's going on. She, he tries to get in her room. We don't see him anymore, okay? The last time no, we, we see him is in a dream sequence. Then, from that moment on in the film, he's gone. In my opinion, he's probably killed. They probably killed him. But he Whoa. comes in there. He tries to get in. Doesn't go in. Goes into room 212 where he says the Lolita is there. Goes yeah, the in 13-year-old. there. 13-year-old. Right. 
does the, the thing the thing with her, you know, throwing yeah. her around and everything else. Now, Jesse goes up and she's listening to it, scared, intently, trying to see who does she call. Yeah, not the police. Ruby. This is Ruby's plan. She wants... She, she is trying to throw something in her direction where she knows she's going to call her and want to come with her at some point where she's going to need her. So what better way to do it? Go check out the scene. She that see what's going on with Keanu Reeves' character, that he's this kind of edgy character who, you know, was talking about this girl and, he, and you could tell that she's afraid of him because she is afraid of him. She's trying to avoid him ever since the first night with the break-in when the cat right? was there. So so she knows that he's afraid, that, that Jesse is afraid of Keanu. So there you have it. Why not cast this spell, do this thing where the one thing she is afraid of, now she knows she has to be afraid of him because he's now capable of of rape or murder or whatever he's doing. So now who's she going to call? Her best friend in town, which she even says to her earlier, it's good to have good girls. She immediately befriends her right away. First freaking five minutes of the film. You know what I mean? So now, okay, this girl's going to call me and she's going to come to me, which she does. And and that's, that's how she got her there. Then she tried to seduce her. Didn't go the way she planned. But yep. you see hints again of the, like I'm saying the cat in the beginning and then the cat where she's staying. It just it just makes sense to me and that that she would do that and that she would want to be called. So interesting. That's part of it and that's just part of it. I mean, as far as the witches, that's that's my theory. Again, it's a spiritual remake of Suspiria, like I said, for that reason as well. It's it a lot of this movie is tribute to to Argento and Kubrick from uh, as far as I'm concerned. Gosh, yeah, absolutely, man. And here. I mean, you know, like I said, I went on a journey with this film and in and, and here I was thinking like, okay, I guess we're what we're looking at here is a a situation where we've got this makeup artist who attaches herself to this young up and comer and hopefully is is hoping that maybe she'll be like, oh, maybe she'll remember me and I can go on the ride with her. But what you're proposing, what I'm proposing is like pretty simplistic and, and, and just kind of, you know, s- surface. What you're talking about is... It gives a whole new dimension to the movie. Well, look at it. Look at it this way. Right away, she gets her information. She finds out she's vulnerable. Her parents aren't around anymore. Whatever. She's probably just basically attracted to her for whatever oh, reason. Oh, yeah. And she says, you had that deer in a headlights look. Pretty girl. They're going to they're gonna love you. Da, 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 da. Okay. What is the first thing she does? She invites her to a party. Where are you going to go? What, what, what kind of party? A, a fun party. Okay. Now they get to the party, they go into this dance club, they go into the bathrooms, the beautiful lighting, everything else, it's much like Argeno's freaking, it, all that stuff is amazing. They have the conversations, they talk about Red Rum, an- another Kubrick thing. Yep, I caught and, that. Uh, Red Rum, Lolita, and um, and bathroom scenes, which Kubrick always has bathroom scenes in his movies. Um, so we have all, and not to mention all, all the zooms and some of the filmmaking styles, but the colors to me are all Argeno inspired. But you got all that going on. The first thing they do, they go to the party, they have that discussion. Somebody comes in and says, hey, you know, because it's the three girls. It's Gigi and it's Sarah and it's Ruby. And they say, let's go. Uh, Somebody said there's a show about to start. Okay, let's go see the show. So right after that, for about 20 seconds, the beautiful colors and the beautiful women disappear. And it's just black. And they go down this little narrow hallway which is kind of weird that all of a sudden this beautifully lit club it go it, there's this little hallway where they walk in for like 20 seconds where it's dark they're going someplace else they're not going back out to this dance floor this bar whatever this place is they're going someplace else to see a specific show and they want to see it now they go to this show soon as they go into the show all these girls 
they, they, you know, you, there's no dialogue, and it's just the music and the contortionist floating in the air doing all this crazy yeah. stuff. And you know, they all keep looking over at Jesse. The other girls with very serious looks, and Ruby with you know, uh, happy smile, seductress, you know, checking this stuff out. But then you see these white flashes go across the screen uh, in, in the midst of all this other colorful stuff and this contortionist. To me, that is the introduction to this this cult. This is the first thing that they're showing her. Check this out. Wow. This is the type of entertainment we have because it's not nat- nothing looks like that. You know, it starts off and the lights are that way, boom, boom, and the freaking thing starts floating. Nothing normal about that scene, and they had to go somewhere specific to see it. So to me, yeah. they're they're right off the bat because Ruby spotted her. They're introducing her to this to this world, so they're checking it all out. And then later on, when she does do the show, when she does get the lead in the show and she's walking down, you also, and it's the only other time in the movie you see that, you see those flashing white lights go by real quick. Same type of thing. Again, this is the neon demon. We're seeing these blue triangles earlier on, earlier on, and and then we see her guided right to it at one point. She's got her hands held out, she sees it, and she's scared. Everything with the blue is her being uneasy and scared, and then, then it flips to the red and her whole demeanor changes. We get the kisses, everything else. That is when the demon fully takes her. That's when she's like, okay, I'm going in here now. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm embracing the fact. I've been a little nervous. It all starts. It all starts with the with the um, when they go for the audition and uh, the girl uh, Sarah gets mad and she crashes the mirror and then there's that that scene when she has the blood on her finger and immediately <laughs> yep. she lunges over and, and starts sucking the blood. Now to the you know some person might just look at that basically and say, oh yeah, they're vampires. No, no, no. That's just her trying to ingest her right off the bat, and that's that's a witchy thing. That's what they're trying to do. So right off the wow. bat, she gets that. What I catch is this: because she put her mouth to her open sore, we get zero zero attitude out of this girl. We get nothing until that scene. R- right up, she she's very sweet. Everything she says, everything's cool. She's high. Oh, do you have sex with men? Oh, all the time. You could tell that she that, that she's BSing <laughs> all the stuff. And then we find out that she's only 16. So, you know, it is stranger in a strange land, deer in a headlights thing. She's got yeah. all that sweet stuff going on. Then, soon as she gets that, you know, with, with, with the bite, pardon me, with the, um, after the tryouts, sucking on the hand. And then, then she passes out. And the first, it's the very first time she sees the, the blue neon demon. She sees the lights right after that scene. She goes home. Her boyfriend, well, not her boyfriend, but Bean comes over the house, Bean, gives yep. her the flowers. <laughs> right? He, she passes out, and it was right after that scene. And what, ha- what does she see when she passes out for the very first time? She sees the blue triangles, the freaking demon. So now she's been touched. Wow. She's been touched by the culprit only right after that scene when, when she gets her blood sucked. And that's just the beginning of it. Then we see attitude for the very first time when she when she gets the 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 lead in the show. When she goes in there and she sees what's her name, Gigi, and she's like, "What are you doing here?" And she goes, "You're in the show." And, and she's still being sweet. And she says, "Yeah." And then she goes, "This show." And then she goes, "Yes." Then right after that, that's the first time her her demeanor changed. Then she she says, you know, because just the way she says, she's like, yes, she gets a little bitchy, a little catty. You know what I mean? And from then on, that's it. The show is incredible. It's beautiful. It's the same stuff as that they witnessed at the first show. You know, the blue fear to the red confidence, you know, and that whole thing. And then everything changes after she closes that show. She has the show. She gets the clothes. She comes in. And from that moment on, everything changes because they go out after that show 
And that's when she brings Bean along and they have that conversation and beauty isn't everything. It's the only thing. And then he's like, he wants her to leave. He's like, can you, can you believe what these people are saying? He goes, I want to yeah. go. And the, even the way she looks with her hair long and she has this bitchy yeah. look on her face. Then she, go. Yes. So go. Everything changes. All it took was the freaking the sucking of the blood from her hand. But ultimately, that was the catalyst. But then when she went to the show and she got the lead and she saw the demon and took it in, took in the, this presence and went red, that's when everything changed. So to me, there's a leader of this. I guess you can call it the neon demon. Whatever. There, There is a leader of this thing and these people are in it. These three girls are in it. And you believe in a literal presence a, a literal neon demon that it's not just a metaphor for a, a, like the ambition or the the achieving of of the of that journey of of embracing your narcissism you believe that there is a a being that she is seeing when she has these visions and and you know that dream when she passes out and when she is seeing uh it in, in the fashion show that it's 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 related to that a literal a literal presence well yes and no I, I believe that she doesn't see a presence she sees the things that we're seeing the triangles the blues that then turn to reds oh it's there she, but it's yes. embodied and connected to it well just just to piggyback on what you're saying really quickly I found that point in the independent article and it, and it says the interviewer says regarding the triangles each point presumably represents one of the three and then quote witches and, that's and then it yeah. says in parentheses it says ref and nods and and then the interviewer says, and the triangle, the triangles surround her like the witches, and so Refn answers yes, like in a ritual, they fence in the lamb, capture her, then they feed off the lamb, and so yeah, and then and the next question has to do with colors, so yeah, I just I thought you might you might like that terminology of of witches that there's a you know and and you know they talk about Jesse being self assured, yeah, just that whole what's it like being the sun. You know, and then yeah. Jesse, everything you're not, you like, whoa. And <laughs> like I said before, when Gigi talks about the plastic surgery she's had, no one likes the way they, they look. And I do. I, I, I'm seeing, you know, we have this lamb who is being seduced and eventually comes to the point where now what now? OK, what do you feel? OK, we've got this seduction going on. We've got this agenda. And I, OK, so l let me play in your world. Let me let me dip in there. I, I'm digging it. So we have this agenda that's being acted upon her. And now she's at this this second show. She's seeing this triangle and then her 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 transformation is is complete, according to Refin. And I agree. And I, I picked that up without even having to read it when she, you know, kisses the mirror images of herself. That it's an embracing of the self, of the ego, of that beauty, of that it factor that people want from her before they literally consume it. But you, what do you think of that transformation right there? Do you think, is there a possession? Because there, I mean, obviously she's self-assured. It's not, it, it's nothing that changes her necessarily, but it is the thing that brings her into the fullness of herself. Like the direction she's already headed. It's not like she's something she's not now. It's where she's always kind of been heading, but there is a change that happens. Yes, from fear to confidence, from fear to confidence, straight up. Yeah. She, you can see it in, in, in her face 100%. And, and, and it becomes more than confidence because she starts to get attitude, which she never had before. And obviously they're answering to somebody. If this is witches, if this is the coven, they're always answering to somebody. So there's somebody higher than them. And that's what I feel that the whole neon demon is a representation of. The very first show that they showed her, was something, you know, meant specifically for them. It has to do with, you know, hey, <laughs> um, you're, you're going to be seduced into a cult. 
and it just, obviously it takes some time like anything else. I wouldn't say that possession is the word. I would say that it's, you know, she, uh, they want her because she obviously has something even before she gets there. She has, she has this it factor that everybody, when they lay their eyes on her, they immediately fall for her. The modeling agency, the, um, Jack, the, the photographer, everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. They all go right for her. Ruby. I mean, she loves her. They all do. And the other girls don't want to 100% acknowledge it. Yeah, but, they, they sure don't. Right. But they see it, but they're not dumb. They're like, okay, well, let's bring her in. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it's com- it's com- competitive, but I don't think it's th- for them to say. The way I see it, Ruby is the mortal one in charge around this area. I think there's someone they answer to. Obviously, if they're witches, they answer to the devil or, or whatever. So, sure. You know, but I think Ruby's the one that runs everything. And she's the one that, you know, she decides, hey, you know, she's going to put that stuff on the mirror uh, and, and, and invoke things and, and make it official. And then she sets it up when after she goes home, goes and, and, and makes love to that corpse, that whole thing. And she lays out a dress for Jesse, a red one. And then she puts the red one out for a little bit and caresses herself. Then she changes into the blue one and goes back to that phase. But then she goes out. To me, that's showing that it doesn't matter if she's red or blue anymore. She's past all that. She is fully becoming what she's meant to be. And she's 100% accepting of it. Then she has that that great speech when she's on top of that. You know, she's just standing on top of that, uh, that diving board. And it looks like yeah. she's levitating at first. Then, of course... We see Ruby come home, and rather than approach her, she goes below as if looking up at her, as if, you know, some type of idolization. And she's, you know, what's going on? Then you get that whole speech, and then you know where she's at. And she gets that, you know, women look, you know, women carve stuff, inject themselves, starve themselves, just to look like a second-rate version of me. You know what I mean? Then she gets complete (laughs) attitude. And it's brilliant. It's great to see her. It, it is to me. It is a transformation, you know. And it's just like I said, it happens right in that moment when 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 she goes from from blue to red. I love that from blue to red, and 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 just like I said before, just for Reffin to be condoning the character becoming this. That he he's not saying, oh shoot, she's gone a little too far. He's going, no, it's she's gone right where she should be. It's the others who go too far, and you know that she's the lamb you know, being fenced in for the slaughter, but she's the lambs leading the wolves. And that's a very interesting dynamic because isn't it, isn't it usually the, the wolves leading the lamb to slaughter? Not in this case. The wolves want to be the lamb. And it's so, it's such a, Reffin is deliberately, I gotta, I gotta hand it to him for turning everything on its head where you're, it's almost like he was like, all right, here are all the places you, you hear about a story about stranger in a strange land comes to town. She's got the it factor. And, you know, normally it's like, oh, no, don't get corrupted. Don't get corrupted. And there is a certain amount of that. Well, more in your theories. But, you know, when you keep it to just kind of the narcissism thing of what Refn wants to say, he's going against what you feel you want from a story like this. And I, I got to hand it to him that, that there's something smart about flipping the roles of wolves and lambs on their head like this. But then ultimately the wolves do get theirs. They, they do get fed. And that's a very interesting thing. What? OK, now tell me, what do you make of that end scene? where Gigi and Sarah are out there at at that photographer's house. They're doing the pool thing that, you know, they're being furniture or whatever. And there's that other girl there. Well, we, first we have the eyeball scene. So yeah. Mm -hmm. What, what do you feel about that end scene? Do we have a new Jesse on our hands? Well, that's just it. They, they, that's what they, everybody wants to be the Jesse. So when they do ingest her, when you see Sarah and Gigi do their thing and they're eating her and everything else, when that goes on, they move on. They go to the shoot. Now they now they're starting to uh, get what they they're trying to achieve. 
and you, you see her just sitting on the couch, not even part of the shoot, and, you know, the photographer, Jack, he notices her. He's seen her before. She says no, but I'm sure either way, he is, he, he, she's just sitting on the couch minding her own business. Wait, was that Sarah there. on the couch, Dave Z? Yes. Okay. Sarah's on the couch. Gigi's there for the shoot with some other random girl. Who was the other girl? They, they, she leaves, right? Or he what fires happens? her. What happens is they're about to do the shoot. And out of the corner of his eye, the photographer sees Sarah sitting on the couch. So he comes over to her. He, he's mesmerized by her. So he goes over to her and he goes, hey. He goes, have I seen you before? And she said, no. And he goes, do you want to be in the shoot? She's like, yeah. So he goes out. He immediately is stunned by her the same way, you know, people are stunned when they see Jesse. So all of a sudden, he, she's stunned by her, goes out. He fires the other girl thinking he is Michelle. Michelle, you're fired. You can't do that to me. Anyway, she's gone. So now he puts her right in because, okay, this girl's special. I'm going to put her in. He never noticed her before or anything like that. But now oh that God. she's ingesting Jesse. Think, yeah. Hmm? I think I missed... I missed the little part where they did the switch. Okay, first time I saw, listen, uh, the whiskey's had the the whiskey the whiskey had its way. That's not my <laughs> fault. But but the other two times, I think I both times I missed. I, for some reason, I seem to remember wrongly. Apparently, the that Sarah apparently you know not dressed down for the occasion, sitting on the couch because this is Gigi's gig. Right. That's right. She does bring, yeah, she, the, that Michelle or that other girl gets fired G, and then Sarah goes in and that's when the eyeball thing happens. For some reason, I thought that it was Sarah still, that there was another girl on the couch and I kept thinking that looks just like Sarah. And for some reason, something just didn't connect with me that it was Sarah and she got put in the gig too, because now she's sort of by ingesting Jesse, maybe she, you know, either physically got something from that. Or through that act, that ritual, if you will, was able to get that level of self-assurance. Because she's not sitting there cocky. She's just chilling. Well, neither was neither was was uh, was Jesse ever sitting there cocky until later yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. She was yeah. just there. But she doesn't have that look. See, the thing is... Well, could this be the start of, of Sarah's journey toward what Jesse yeah. kind of... Yes, that's the that's implication. That's why she's out in the desert? Yes, that's the implication at the end scene, yeah. Wow, man. Okay, so thanks for fixing that in my head a little bit because for some reason I remembered a couple events out of sequence. So that helped me because I'm thinking, well, who's this other? Who's this other girl? Like, what the hell? <laughs> and I'm like, why does she look just like Sarah? But Sarah's over there. No, it, 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 she she's both. <laughs> this yeah, is, man. Don't, don't don't worry, man. I got memory problems too, dude. Like, yeah, yeah, so we both do. It's okay, but that's what happens. And for whatever reason, I think it's because she's already plastic. But the, the my the thing is, they're not all meant for that. I mean, yeah, they're witches or whatever they have the power but not all of them can fully go all the way when when push comes to shove and that's what i sure. think happened there but i also think it's a matter of um when Gigi gets sick you know she's unable to digest jesse it is what it is maybe because she doesn't have what it takes or maybe because she's artificial because of all the plastic surgeries and things like that it's it, w it would sound like something that um witchcraft wouldn't be supportive of I mean, if you're going to oh, do sure. it, you're going to do it by eating someone else or some magic way or something else. You're not going to go to a, a, a doctor and, and get, you know, plastic stuff done. So that's what I get out of it. She can't uh, she can't have her in it. She says, I, I got to get her out of me. And then she goes to, you know, she freaking cuts herself, to, does the whole thing. And, you know, and then you get that <laughs> shot of freaking uh, of Sarah actually able to. Uh, want, she has a tear in one eye because she yep. is mourning her friend, but at the same time, she's able to eat an eyeball that freaking she vomits up 
and just take it. And she's like, oh, yep, I'm, I'm getting stronger. Here, here I go. You know? Yeah. Off to the races. Now, what ends up happening with Ruby? I don't know. I think she yeah. ingested the blood in her own way. Then she took it out. I think still think she's off to, to, to greater things. And it's just like, that's why they're at that house. Because they even, they, you know, she's like, you said this was your house. She goes, well, no. She goes, I'm I'm actually, I'm house sitting. I'm watering the plants. I'm doing this and that, she said. Yeah. And then she says, well, is it, is it cool that I stay here? Jesse asks her. And she says, you can stay as long as you'd like. Now, to me, that's what I'm saying. She doesn't own the house. But she's part of this coven. She's there. You know, this is this is where she resides. She's watching it. She's, you know, she's a caretaker for, for whatever's going on for somebody else. Whoever she has to answer to. Because she's like a higher up. You know? Okay. That's what I take about all that. There's just, you know, make of it what you will. My man, I like this world that you've built inside the film. And that's what that's what's so cool about certain certain stories is that they they lend themselves to the consumer to expound and to be able to build on it because this story does have, even though Refn does flip so much of it on its head, there's a lot of archetypal material here to where you can take that general template and work with it and shape it. And yeah, Refn's definitely made his points clear on what he thinks his film means and what it means to him and and what you know and and definitively hey this is the story i'm telling so deal with that because that's what i'm doing but for you know you to come in with this sort of in, in internal world of the film and actually be able to make it work because i'm not one point am i sitting here going yeah but dave don't you see that this would make that impossible uh no i i'm down with i'm down with it you, you pleaded your case and you pleaded well man and and, and our friend party people I'd love to hear what you think of two particular things. I, I definitely want to hear what you think of Dave's interpretation. Is there something more going on? What sort of world are we dealing with here? And then the other thing I'd like people to definitely acknowledge is, did anything I said earlier surprise you that this isn't a cautionary tale? That, you know, certain things that Refn said that I was, I was able to map out for you? Did that maybe help anybody go, oh, this is the movie I'm watching because that's what I had to do. That's the journey I went on. That's the the, the, the conclusions I had to come to. And so I, I'm very curious, folks, if you could give us that feedback and, and let us let us know about those two things. I'd really I'd really appreciate that. Dave Z, have you have you got anything more you want to say, man? I don't think so because again, I could go on and on, but with the movie, there's there's so many <laughs> so many great things about this movie that we didn't even talk about. But I mean, what can we say? We we discussed all the, the pertinent topics. We got into what we wanted to get into, but. I tell you, there's there's so much going on in this movie that it's not given credit for, and people just dismiss it. And it's what I, it's what I kept saying earlier on. If you peel back the layers, that's what makes a movie great to me. If I can explain a movie, that's what elevates it. When I can't yep. explain a movie, that's when I have issues. If you listen to me doing any any podcast, and I have and I can't explain what's happening in freaking Nightmare um, on Street 4 or this or that or why or this doesn't add up so this doesn't make <laughs> sense it affects my rating I'm sorry if I can't explain it if it's if it doesn't make sense to me then it, then it affects my enjoyment it affects the way I, I, I'll rate a film if I'm rating it same thing with this because I can't explain it and I don't think that I'm grasping at straws and I, I felt vindicated when you read that thing to me about somebody even mentioning witchcraft and him actually acknowledging it that to yeah, me yeah it's like a ritual yeah there's oh, there, there's something great. going on here well i'm glad that helped because 
Yeah, I didn't want these revelations I had that helped the film for me suddenly tear you down. I was I was so hoping you weren't you didn't have this whole review constructed on the idea of this being a great cautionary tale because we would have to have an argument about that and I'd have to, you know, reverse my notes. <laughs> <laughs> right. And yeah, I wouldn't dude. want to have to do that. Like, you know, so right. I'm really glad that you, that never even crossed your mind. Like that cautionary. That, that impressed you, me. I'm glad. Thank you. And I'm glad that you what impressed me is that you were able to change your opinion again. See, that's that's what's good. You and I are a are, are rare breed. We're open to, to learn. We're open to you yeah. know, have, having our, our, our ratings and our minds changed about something. So few people are. You, you know, know and, 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 and that's true, too. And, you know, and, and not to pat us on the back or anything, but just, uh, you know, to, to turn this outward, the people I know who are very staunch about this and that, that kind of calcify in their in their own opinions and their sort of their turn, you know, just the, the, the things they their outlooks. I find that those people can be difficult to interact with in any real meaningful way because they have their immovable worldview you know maybe it's about the arts maybe it's about music maybe it's about this and sure if you play with them on their turf like you know this person only likes 80s movies okay i'll come in we'll talk about 80s but if i want to say oh man you should check out this other slasher from the other decade uh -uh, that's, that's not the good thing that i like and it's like okay well we don't got to talk about that and I, that's kind of where i just leave it alone and i'm just sort of even social media these days man i'm just i'm you know it's it, it can be a tiring thing i'm actually really dave appreciating twitter and, and the the way yeah. i'm able to interact there because it's not so wordy but then again facebook is great with the community building and that is where i guess you would do best for now to get in contact with us and tell us hey what'd you think of dave's dave's whole inner world that he was able to construct within this film because he had bullet points folks there was nothing where that stood out to me where i'm like oh that doesn't work i i see it the ritual's there and refin himself says this is built ritualistically and if you're gonna argue with with refin well you're not arguing with refin and dave z and so yeah <laughs> folks i think that does it for me dave what you thinking buddy yeah yeah another another fun episode uh yes we talked about different theories and everything else and yeah I'm, I'm having a great time so hope the listeners are too yes well everybody get out after party's over much love folks yep peace all right let me jump back to my notes get out of the software all right showtime that will have just played did you catch by the way that in all of the horror movies, characters saying it's showtime, I put in one from Natural Born Killers. <gasps> what? Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait yep. a second here. Hold on a second. Yep. What the f? When did they say it's showtime? In it? Oh, well, hold on. One. Was it, was it, um, wait a second. Did Downey say it? Oh, yeah, Downey did say it because they're getting ready to, uh, Right, it had, it had to have been yep. down. He goes, he's just, he's kind of like, he goes, showtime. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yep. Showtime. Yeah. Bing. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Yep, I threw that in because I, I found the sound button. It was like, oh, that's, go that's going in there. Fucking sweet. Wow. Yep. Nice, have to, dude. Yeah, we'll have to see if people can pick out which uh, movies each one of them are from. Yeah, that'd be a good contest someday.